Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. And good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for kicking off your day with us again. Later, 60 civil rights activist Willie Ricks will take over our classroom. William Acosta Ricks, monster the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., also was instrumental in the formation of SNCC along with John Lewis and Marion Barry. But before Willie Ricks, New York activist Charles Barron will outline his new group, Operation Power. But before we hear from Charles, Temple University Africology professor, Nah Dove, Dr. Dove, will discuss African Heritage Month. But to get us started, DC activist Daryl Mohammed is here as an update on his anti-crime crusade in the DC public schools. Salam alaikum, brother Daryl. Welcome back to the program. Wa alaikum salam, brother Nelson. How are you doing this morning? Excellent, my brother. How are you doing? Well, I'm fine. Uh, come to come back and blessed to say that it's no doubt about it that the Stop the Killing Tour has been a success uh, to the point that it has reached the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And he placed it in this issue of the Final Call newspaper based on what's going on, all not just in Washington, D.C., but all around the country. Uh, and on that note, it's just bear witness to not having a proper solution to the problems in which I'm addressing. Now, this new D.C. secured bill with 100 interventions in it still doesn't address the issues amongst our people. And the beautiful thing for me, you know, I get a chance to be around Mayor Bowles and some of those city councilmen. When you are disconnected from what's going on in our society, and all you can do is because you don't have the solution to uh, the carjacking issue, you know, the salt with a deadly weapons issue, the killing in our city. All you can do is sit amongst yourself in a council and come up with what you think is the solution to the problem. Now, I'm going to say this, Carl. It's bad for me to sit back and see that inside that 100 intervention bill that they have, they have a drug-free zone where they're giving law enforcement uh, five days in that zone and up to 15 days. That's not going to stop our people from committing these heinous crimes. You have to deal directly with the mindset, attitude, and mental health of our people because there's a crisis amongst us as a people. And I can say that to you, uh, diagnosing it every day, they ain't even close to addressing this problem. Well, let me jump in and ask you this, though, do, do, do you because you deal with the elected officials, do they really understand the problem? Because the problem, it seems like they're dealing with, with what's on the surface. But what's what's behind all of this, this violence that we see in our cities? Have they gone that far yet? No, they're not even scratching their surface on it, because, as I just mentioned, there's a major disconnect amongst them. And truth be told, none of them have proper advisors advising them of a proper solution to the issues amongst our people, because there's a cocktail of issues. 
Now, because everything is going up from carjacking to killing, assault with a deadly weapon, that tells you right then that there's a mental health issue amongst people. So, so if there's a mental health issue amongst people, it would seem to me that you start addressing the issues that's related to why the people mindset is operating and activating the way that it is. So the thing for me, you know, even with her little minions, she sent her minions out. Uh, I'm talking about Mayor Bowser. She sent her minions out uh, to try to deceive the public as if the money that they're receiving through the little grants that they have, that they are part of the solutions instead of being the problem. But I'm telling you, Carl, I crisscross this city every day, every night. None of them is in the street. Not only none of them is in the street, they concocted and fabricating programs that they have that is empty. The people is not going to no programs. You have to have a direct relationship to these people. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that, Darrell, because what what's going on in Washington D.C. is going on all across our urban centers, and and and, and sadly. Most of it, many of it, you know, involves our people, people who look like us. That's why the problem is, is still standing, because the other folks don't care. As long as we're killing each other, you know, it plays right into their hands. We, we've got to watch how, how the, that secret move, you know, ha- having us attack each other. We, and we do it on social media. We do, we do it in the streets. We do, we do it in the pulpit. We've got to figure out a way what's causing this, what's behind this, you know, because it seems like they don't have to be there, but, but yes, we're doing their work for them. So if you're in the streets now with these young people, have you discerned what's the cause of the problem? Have, have you had a chance to sit down with some of these young brothers and sisters and ask them, why, what is it you hate about your, your brother and sister? Who taught you that? Have you had that discussion yet? Of course, I have it every day, and this is... Uh is a complex, is a serious issue that, you know, one size don't fit all when it comes to our people, particularly our young people. And this is why I'm effective in dealing with them. Because I listen. I can't go in to what I think is the solution to their problem. It's just like a doctor trying to prescribe medication to a, a, a patient that he never seen. And that's one of the issues that I notice with our young people because there's no leadership amongst them. So they're really leading themselves. There's no parental guidance even in the homes. So the time that we see them in the society, they off the chain. You know, so when I sit back and uh, uh, diagnose it for myself, I say, okay, now, what is the issue with them? First and foremost, they don't have no hope. They don't see no leadership amongst us as adults. So if they don't see no leadership as uh, amongst us as adults, then that means that's like a ship with no captain. So wherever the waves is taking that ship, just like our young people, they don't see no leadership. So they go on with the group thinking it because there's no leadership amongst them. So how I'm effective, I goes in, I find out who the leaders is in the community. And I deal with the leaders because there's no leadership. Likewise, in the schools, I go in and I find out who are they listening to. Then I get those brothers and sisters young students, and I explain to them the role that they play because, see, this is the thing, Carl. We have to help them understand that they have a bigger role in this solution because they are the problem. And this is why I explain that I try to do the best that I can because I'm out there. What role are you playing? 
because you play a greater role, you are not the victim. There's no doubt about it because you're the one perpetrating the crimes. So what role do you play? Because you're not innocent in this. You're responsible for the kids killing kids. You're responsible for the students killing students. And, of course, what's going on now is because there's a heavy police presence, everything is moving towards the students in the high school. So they're robbing the students going to school and coming home from school. And once again, what I didn't say last time because it wasn't happening frequently like it is now, they're killing credible messages and valor interrupters. So, and, and that's an issue right there. See, because if the people don't know you in that community and you just popping up because you have to pop up there just to get a check, but you have an established relationship with them, they see you as the enemy. Likewise with the police. They see the police as the enemy. They don't see them as the oath that they took to protect and serve. They see them straight up as occupational forces in our community because there's no relationship. Well, let me ask you this then, because that's an, a, a, a great point that you just made at 10 minutes after the top of the hour. So who 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 do they look up to? Who do they, who who can go in there in these communities and speak with our young people, not just in Washington, D.C., in Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, New York, L.A., Atlanta, where our young people, Memphis, where our young people are just, you know, many, not all of them, but some of them are acting inappropriately. The, the, uh, the, the self-hate is palpable amongst our, some of our young people. And again, I got to keep stressing it's not all of them, you know, because we do have some young right. people out there who are doing fantastic things out there and, and, and achieving great things. But there's, there's a small group that's making the, giving, giving the, the rest of not just young, black young people, just black people, period, a bad name. So right. who do they, uh, uh, Brother Darrell, who do they look up to? Who do you think is effective? You've been in there. They've listened to you. But who else? If, if I'm in Chicago right now and the shootings are there and Memphis, I keep the Memphis listeners tell me this. You keep, they don't talk about Memphis. Memphis is off the chain. But who do they listen to? Is, is, uh, is it athletes or entertainers? Who, who, who's, the, who's, the, uh, who's the shot callers among these groups? Well, they don't have one. And first and foremost, some of those that appear to be learned and entertainers and rappers is the damn problem. Because these young people is following a culture now. See, it's a culture, once again, Carl, is a culture thing amongst us as a people. So in order to survive, you have to deal with the culture and, and, and perpetrate the culture to them as if the mindset, behavior, and lifestyle is all right. See, and this is why, man, the leadership they have a they have a big issue in this, and it has to be addressed. But you have to be strong enough to deal with them with that, because now you watch at the commercials, the commercials on television. A couple of years ago, they couldn't stand rap. They couldn't stand Snoop Dogg and them at the at the Super Bowl. Now, see, so now they're using the ignorance of our people against our people, and we're not holding people accountable like Snoop Dogg and the rest of them. And that's the thing, uh, uh, Carl, and this is why on your show previously, we talked about the death culture in music. So we get a chance to put that kind of death culture out, live a, a, a lavish lifestyle, and watch our community go straight to hell. And ain't nobody saying nothing because everybody is after the bag. See, and this is why I deal with it all from the top to the bottom. And I have to do majority of it around Washington, D.C., the metropolitan area, not by myself, but credible people. This is why when I went in them high schools, I took a several people with me. One of them was 
Kamal Ali from Ben Chili Bowl. I'm not allowing people around me that's not involved in the rehabilitation and transformation of our people because it's prevalent and pervasive. That's the thing now, hustling the death of people. So all of them is doing it. It ain't just some of them. All of them is doing it. All right. Hold that thought right there, Brother Darrell. we got to take a short break. Family just joined us uh, 14 after the top of the hour with Brother Darrell Muhammad. He's on an anti-crime crusade to stop the violence in the D.C. public school system and, and also he was uh, be working in your city pretty soon. We, we need help, you know, trying to figure out where is this violence coming from? He mentioned it's part of our culture. And I beg to say that's not our culture, but it seems like the more we see it, the more people think that's part of our culture. And it goes back to what uh, uh, Ashwa Kweshi says, know thyself. These young people don't know who they are. Family, we're going to take a quick break. As I mentioned, we'll be back in four minutes, though, with Brother Darrell Muhammad. You want to join this conversation? Phone lines are open at 800-450-7876, and we'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Our guest is Darrell Muhammad, who's from Washington, D.C. He's he's on a mission to reduce the crime uh, surrounding our schools, starting with the schools in the district. And, you know, before we left, we were talking about the, 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 what's the what's the problem? What's the cause of the problem? Because, you know, he, here's the deal. And, and you already know it. Nobody's going to come from the outside to solve the problems in our community. Our community has to solve the problems ourselves because these are our problems. These are our children. So we've got to figure out a way where all this hate and anger is coming from. And Brother Darrell, you've been there and you've talked to them. What are they saying? What, are, what Do they tell you who, who taught them to hate each other? Where's all this anger, pent-up anger coming from? Well, truth be told, they don't even know. They don't even know. And if I ask them, as I constantly and consistently ask them, they don't know that we are remote control. We're on automatic pallet, man. We don't even know. And to touch basis on what we talked about briefly before you went to the break, it just came out that a former CIA agent admitted that the CIA created gangster rap to destroy the black community. It just came out. And I say, wow, this is heavy. Because the CIA say that they had got strategies and propagandas together to make sure that the private prisons was filled. So now it's not a coincidence, and when I reflected back, why Jeff Sessions, the senator of Alabama, why he reversed President Barack Obama's policies to phase out the private prisons. And as I was studying in this call, I found out that Viacom has ownership in the prisons. I found out that the music record executive have stocks in private prisons. So this is a conspiracy that's easy to be proven. Because I researched before I open my mouth, it has to be actual and factual. The question is, Carl, who amongst us in terms of leadership have the kahunas to deal with it? you got very little. majority of them already bought and paid for. And this is why I mentioned the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan the way that I do. Not because I'm a follower of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad teachers under his leadership. But we are lacking leadership. So if there's no leadership at the top to show them an example of unity, then you can't expect them to look and don't and see because they're looking and watching, but they don't see no leadership and no unity amongst us as a people. So why should I unify? 
that's the key. And when you talk to them, that's part of it. And they talking about the lack of leadership and the lack of trust amongst people. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, let me jump in here and ask you this. So at 23 after the top of the hour, they are searching. They're looking for a leader. Is there a leader out there? Is there anybody out there who's talking about unification and, 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 and you know, the peace and, and, and all this fighting in our community, all this attack? We, we see it online, as I mentioned. You see it in, it's in the pulpit, unfortunately. All this, it seems like they don't understand that you, what, what the, as you mentioned, how they, uh, they, they fabricated gangster rap and all that. All this is in the book. A committee of 300 and it didn't start you know because they it shows how they created the crips and the bloods the, the tavistock institute and how they pushed the beatles how what they did for them to, to use the where they influence on our young people and now what you're telling me about the, uh, the what was it the fbi or the cia one of these agencies who were pushing who started gangster rap it, it, it's feasible but again the, the question i have for you why are they attacking us why us why why don't they go after some other group why yeah. us Perfect. First and foremost, since this is black history, right? Black is not a color. Black is the essence from which color comes. And the wise amongst them, meaning the social scientists, know it's not just been our time. It's our time. So in order for us to rise as a people, they have to do everything that they can possibly do. And this is why J. Edgar Hooper said he was looking for the black messiah. What the hell did he know? That we that we don't know. Some of us know and afraid to say it. Why was he and what do he know? What information did he have? That he was on the lookout for the not white Messiah or Hispanic Messiah, but the black Messiah amongst us as a people 50 years ago. So we don't know our connection divinely to Almighty God through his Christ. We don't know. And it's bad for me in the 21st centuries to see that even amongst us, that religious people and spiritual people, that we are, we have, uh, as we are derelict in our duty and responsibility, and going back to your point, just basic physics. Whenever darkness appears, all living organisms are automatically attracted to wherever light is present. So wherever the light, just basic physics, you go out this side this morning and look up at the lamppost, you will see insects up there because it's dark outside. That's just the basis of physics. So it's triple darkness amongst us as a people out there, but there's no light. And this is why Jesus said the people that said in darkness have seen a great light. Yeah, let me jump in here again at 26 after the top there. One of the things that Ashra Kwesi, one of the things that he talks about is know thyself. And, and, and a lot of Pan-Africanists feel that if these young people knew who they are, who their ancestors were, and since we you mentioned African History Month, if they knew who, where they come from, if they knew their greatness, 
there wouldn't be all this self-hate. There wouldn't we wouldn't be attacking each other on any level. So I want to get your thoughts about that. Do you think if 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 these young people knew who the greatness? Because they've been told that they're worthless. As you mentioned, they don't believe that. Some don't believe that they're, they're going to live. Uh, you know, uh, maybe into their twenties at, at the max. They have no hope for the future. And and, they, and you say they blame us adults. But if they knew. If they really knew who they were, where they came from, their ancestors, they wouldn't be acting in that way. Your thoughts? Of course they wouldn't. Of course that they wouldn't. Of course if they knew that the Jesus the Christ, that all of us love, how he became God at 33 years of age, there's no doubt in my mind that that would change the psyches of our people. If they knew that the same Jesus, the black man, whose mother was Egyptian living in Palestine, if they knew that he is the Lord and master of the evolutionary process that leads us back to the creator, that they can see him from that perspective, it's no doubt about it that would change them in terms of how we look at one another. Because even when it comes out and you see adults calling uh, uh, one another Negroes or niggers, you know what that does to the mind, especially amongst these young people. And we just say it so frequently as adults that even, you know, on certain airwaves, you know, that's my end. You know, so, I mean, if this is your end and you already know there's no value in a Negro, then you know what that does to a person. So the thing for me, when you talk about self-hatred, and I'm spoon-fed that my people, my ancestors, has never contributed nothing to the onward march of society or civilization. And if you see it now, I'm watching Florida where they allowing them to cancel out our history. And I'm watching the weak politicians call themselves representing our people down in Florida. You allowing them to do it. See, so this is the thing called a cocktail of things. So if you're weak enough that you can't stand up, and say then that, that the black man and woman is the first human being on the planet and the archaeologists and the anthropologists and everything that we can find to prove it, you don't find many brothers and sisters out there doing that. See, so the thing for me is we can deal with every level of society in terms of the weak leadership amongst us as a people. Now, you see the leaders going at one another. Geno Jenkins going at T.D. Jakes. See, this is entertainment. So what did that does to our people? In God. You know, so it's bad when you're talking about leadership. Ain't no damn leadership out there, even amongst us uh, uh, that supposed to have some sense. So how do you expect for them, our young people? What kind of example are you setting for them? So now the church ain't the church no more. Everybody's on social media. Views and likes. So at the root of it is money, bro. See, so the thing about it, who is have enough sense to address it in attempt to bring us together? Because at the end of the day, it's almost triple darkness out in our communities, and you have to be strong enough to deal with the gravitational pull of it. Well, let me throw this in here 30 minutes after the top of the hour. It seems like whenever we try to make a, make a difference, you know, and the latest one would be Marilyn Mosby out in Baltimore. And they went after her after she, you know, went after the cops who, who allegedly killed Freddie Gray. And they went after her. Is there a fear factor in our community that we don't want to, we don't want to end up like that? We, you know, we want to go to Malcolm or Dr. King or, or any of those fearless leaders that we had. 
and, and see the outcome or see they attack you or assassin, assassinate your character. Is, is that because why you think so many people, good thinking brothers and sisters are sitting on the sidelines? Of course, that's the price of redemption. That's a, the game, the psychological game that the slave masters play. Remember, Carl, don't forget, brother, I did 23 years in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I was in 12 penitentiaries. I was in all seven regions of the Bureau. For all that good work that they knew that I was doing, guess who was behind it? It was the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. I had too much influence where I was able to take the Ku Klux Klan, the skinheads, GDs, vice lords, Nathaniels, Pisces, all of those people that was deemed irredeemable, irretrievable, irreconcilable. And I had them in them chapels fill up to the point that they was spilling over in the hallway. Man, this is the key. The crucifixion for me was, don't you ever call me to no lieutenant office. See, I don't play the game. I'm a follower of the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad under the divine leadership of the honorable Ms. Louis Farrakhan. I did 15 years in solitary confinement for what you just said. So they used their policy. They put me under investigation for the word of God. You couldn't give me an infraction because I haven't broke no uh, FBOP laws. So you put me under investigation for nine months at a time, then ship me somewhere else. And, of course, I do the same thing. Nine months again, ship me somewhere else. But with the little did they know that what they thought they was doing to me, they was really doing for me. And this is how I'm able to do the things that I'm doing now, going a little bit deeper than that. This this is a classic plan that comes out of the plantations of America. They kick one of us and castrate us in front of all of us, men, women, and babies. That if you attempt to to, to save your people, this is what's going to happen to you. That's why I mentioned Farrakhan, man. See, I don't mention Farrakhan because I'm following him, man. You got to have somebody, brother, that's strong enough, they're willing to go against the gravitational pull. This world is strong, Carl. You know it. We know it. And it breaks men because it has to test men. And this is why I say words are beautiful, but actually the supreme. In the very Jesus that I mentioned five minutes ago, the Bible says that this man is the truth. So the truth was crucified when you crucified the man. And that's the price that you're going to have to pay to save, deliver, and redeem your people. But see, you got to be a special individual because you can say it. But when you start upsetting this man's world, that's the price that you're going to have to pay. And if you ain't willing to pay it, then get the hell out of the way. To play with the liberation struggle of a people. That's why I do what I do in them communities, Carl. I don't want nobody with me. I know right. you ain't. And hold the thought right there, uh, Brother Dyrell. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, though, I'm going to ask you this question. You can ponder it during the break. Are you concerned that they come attack you? Not not necessarily physically, but you attack your character. Because now they, they see what you're doing and they see that you're making inroads. Is, is that a concern? Do, do you have some safety guards set up for that attack? 26 minutes away from the top. There. As I mentioned, we've got a short break. We'll be back in four minutes. You want to join this conversation? Reach out to us. 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. W-O-L-B. And also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power.
And good morning once again, family. It's uh, 20 minutes, we're over the top of the hour, and we're right here discussing just what's going on in our community. And one of the persons who are with us this morning is uh, Brother Daryl Muhammad. He's an activist in Washington, D.C., and he's on a crusade to uh, reduce the crime or cut the crime in the D.C. public school system, and he's probably coming to a city near you. As you mentioned, the, the attacks that we see on each other, that we're the ones that are going to have to come up with, it, with a solution for it. We'll get back to it in a moment, though. Let me just remind you, later this morning, we speak with uh, civil rights activist Willie Ricks, and also uh, John, uh, who's going to, oh, he walked in March with John Lewis and, and Marion Barry. Before Willie Ricks, though, New York activist Charles Brown will outline his new group, Operation Power. Before Charles, coming up next, we're going to speak with the Temple University Africology professor, Dr. Nod Dove. And also, oh, I got to mention that we're going to offer our condolences to the family of Henry Fambauer and his fans. He's the last original member of the Spinners, or the Detroit Spinners. That's what they call themselves when they started. Henry Fambauer was 85. And, of course, tomorrow's Friday, and we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us. Our Open Phone Friday program begins promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Brother Dyrell. Your concern, my question to you, are you concerned that they may come after you, may attack you either physically or try to attack your character or, or try to discredit the program that you're doing to keep the peace in the school system? Already, I've been under that for three years. <laughs> God, I just spent $30,000 uh, in the last three years. I, I was uh, Yesterday, the last two days, I've been with uh, all three of my attorneys uh, dealing with shenanigans and chicanery in, in terms of which I know I have to deal with. See, so they knew me. They have a dojo on me. The same way I took those penitentiaries, I'm going to take Washington, D.C. Ain't no doubt about it. And one thing for me, Carl, uh, I'm cut from a cloth that there's no more fabric. See, and this is why I goes really by myself, backed by the Spirit of God, in the name of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Now, that man said the work of God stops in the streets with a problem. Is. If you ain't out in the street, I know why you not. And I listen, but I watch. And this is just, that's why Jesus said, watch and pray. And I watch. And I pray all day what I'm dealing with. Because at the end of the day, I know the price that I'm going to have to pay. They don't want me out here. I had standoffs with the police 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on 19th and Minnesota Avenue and charged me because I wouldn't let them kill them young brothers around there. I cleaned that neighborhood up in 90 days. They had a problem with it in 30 years. So the 6th District uh, Department of, of, of the Metropolitan Police in Washington, D.C. is on my line, and God damn it, I'm on there. Well, let me ask you this. How do, how do they view you? That's interesting. Hold that thought right there. How do they view you? Do they view you as an asset or an adversary? Do they think that you you coming in, that means a, that, that's a, a threat to their jobs because that's their job to clean the streets? Or do they see you as an assistant, that, that you, you're really working to help them? How do they view you? I'm hell no, man. I'm a threat to these damn people out here, man. They love and glorify the work. Why do you think I'm around, Mary Bowser? She know, she know exactly who I am. I teach the high intensity for the D.C. probation system. I'm around the branch chiefs of the whole D.C. probation, meaning I'm tied into superb courts and federal courts. I work directly with her, her director for uh, the mayor's office of returning citizens, Brother Lamar Curry. 
I don't get paid by them. I'm more effective than all of that cause. All of it. I don't talk about myself. They got to come my way because I have the influence in this city. I have the relationship with our people because I love them. Now, I know I'm going to pay the price. I'm paying it now. So they're cutting off avenues even financially for me to take care of myself and my family. That's all right. That's the price that you're going to have to pay. And this is why I call, when you hear me say words are beautiful but action is supreme, that's a reality call. For me, it is. Because, man, you can't play the game. Either you about our people or you not, and you choose inside. See, people choose inside in this city. I don't have a problem with it. This is why last year, Ari Duncan called me up to Chicago. All the leaders up there is my friends. I kept both penitentiaries, the old Terry Hut, I kept it together, and the new one, when they built the new one. The Bureau shipped me around so many times, I ended up at the new one, same spot in Indiana, and kept it. Kept us safe now, all of us home, but Larry. So all the leaders that was in the penitentiaries, all of us home, and they calling me, Look, the same way you did it on the inside, we need your help. Come to Chicago. I'm on my way out California soon. I've been to Philly. I've been to Richmond. See, so I've been traveling. And like you told the people on your show, he's coming to your city soon. Okay? Ain't no doubt about it. I'm strong with the Bloods and the Crips. I know they're in your city. I'm strong with them. I'm strong with the GDs and Vice Lords. And that's where my power comes from the inside out. All right, hold that thought right there, Darrell. It's 14 away from the top of the hour. Casey's joining us on line two, calling from Maryland. Good morning, Casey. Okay, Brother Quasey. Yes, sir. I, I, I had to call in Brother Quasey because when I hear the brother uh, basically spoke on uh, T.D. Jakes, I wanted to put a question to him because I've been listening to Geno Jennings for about seven years straight and he is on a crusade to fight against homosexuality like no other and T.D. Jakes wrote a letter to the WCC to get Geno Jennings removed from all airways and they wanted to have a meeting with Geno Jennings and the number one topic was they wanted him to stop talking about homosexuality as of what the scripture says. So we must be very careful when we point out something in a, in a, in a tussle that's going on. And Gino has attacked all of them. He's even spoke against the minister, even though he showed much love for the minister. When he feel that the minister might say something that is contradictory. That's just two scholars arguing over issue. That's not a big deal. But, but the homosexuality thing, they're pushing down the throats of our children. Even to the point, lastly, is we saw Usher, who's to perform at the Super Bowl, one of the most manliest sports we have. And he was took the picture on Rolling Stone magazine in a dress and was supposed to perform at the halftime show in a dress, AKA Cat Williams. And that interview with Shannon shop that blew up the internet. So we got to be very careful because 
some of our preachers are fighting the serious fight against this homosexual agenda. And that's all I'm going to say. And if you're around the mayor, look her in the eyes and ask her, why is she fighting to remove the body cams from the police officers when she was never for the body cams? What they have planned and what killings they about to start to try to cover up. All right. All Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for your thoughts this morning. Tyrell, uh, your thoughts, your response to what yeah, Brother Casey made. That's a beautiful statement, Brother made and making, because we got the example in the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and our beloved champion, Dr. Martin Luther King. That was two extremes 50 years ago. The most honorable Muhammad was talking about separation. Martin Luther King was talking about integration. But what did they do? They went behind closed doors, and they talked about it. Then they came out. It's a historic picture. We don't know what they were saying, but as brothers and respect for one another, because we have to be extremely careful that we're not playing the role of the oppressor. See, that's what my concern is. I'm against homosexuality. Anybody of right character and principle is. But there's a verse in First Peter 4.17. It says judgment begin in the house of God first, because that's where all the goddamn hypocrites at. See, so we can play all the games and be careful all you want to and highlight somebody else's sin as if we don't have sin when the Bible says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So when you're talking about leaders, the leader have to have enough sense. T.D. Jake's got followers in the, uh, in the Christian society. Brother Gino got followers. So you got the people arguing with one another now. And this man sitting back on both sides, playing both sides. We got to be wise today. And this is why the Bible say that the man, this Satan, he transformed himself into an angel of light. This man has put our people to sleep. So if you really want to be about the business, then you resurrect your damn dead brothers. Instead of arguing and bickering with one another while he sets back, because he's still in power, like you said, Carl. So you got to be wise. You got to be divinely guided now to see the overall plan, how we're being played against one another. Man, if you really want to talk about what's going on, then you got to deal with the powers of this world. Once again, are you ready to deal with the powers of this world? The last 6,000 years, the powers of this world have oppressed black people. You really want to deal with the powers of this world? Then start addressing that then. You start from the top, and when you start from the top, then you ain't got to worry about the bottom. Yeah, he also mentioned, and I ain't away from the top, the fact that the, the, the Metropolitan Police don't have the cameras. You want to address that? Of course they don't have them. I, I'm going to say this because one thing about it, he who holds his tongue saves his life. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan just told us last year, say this day, that we are at war, man. I'm watching the entertainment that's transpiring around us while people sleep. Man, we are at war. So if we are at war, then you have to have brothers and sisters, that's soldiers, that's general, that knows how to fight instead of telegraphing. And that's just like when that bullet leaves the barrel, that bullet never returns. So you never speak before your power to do. I'm monitoring everything in Washington, D.C., and I said this, I just spent $30,000. I didn't say why yet. I'm going to say it in proper time. I'm a threat to all of this in Washington. All of it. From the top to the bottom. Don't care nothing about her, her policies, her money. I don't, none of that, bro. So, so the thing for me is, you absolutely right, my brother. 
But we have to be wise because it, it is our unity is more powerful than atomic bomb. The unity. And that's what he's exploiting. He's exploiting the dissatisfaction with us while he sits back and exploits it and stays into power. So the thing for me is I started off addressing it, and he's absolutely right. Brother right? But the thing is, how do we deal with collectively and at the same time cover down for your brother? Because at the end of the day, TDJ's going to pay for that, and everybody else that's on the opposite side of God, myself and everybody else, going to pay for that. That's why that particular scripture was quoted. The adjustment begins in the house of God first. It don't begin in the street. Because we the ones say that we made a covenant with God. So it starts with the people in the mosque, church, synagogue, more signs, temple, whatever house that you attach yourself to the creator. It starts there first. The people never say that they was in, they was with God. Our duty and responsibility is to go out there. And this is why in Ezekiel, it talks about the blood be on your hand if you're not performing your duty and responsibility. I can stay in the building. I'm one of the most effective brothers in terms of speaking. I can do that well. I set that down, Call. I'm in the street where the problem's at. And that's why I keep stressing with the instruction for us that the minister said, the problems in the street. The problems ain't getting on no damn radio or no park, hey? The problems is in the street. So until you get in the street, and this is why the Holy Quran in chapter 13, verse 11, Allah said he changes not a condition of a people till they change it themselves. So I can pray all day, call, read the Quran. I can do Ramadan is coming up. I can go through those 30 days. But he said himself that he changes not the condition until the people change themselves. So until the mindset, the thought process of the people change, that's when the behavior, attitude, and everything that follow behind that. But the thought has to change. Right. And hold that thought right there, uh, uh, Brother Darrell. We're going to take a quick break here, four minutes, uh, six minutes, actually, to the top there. I'll be back in four minutes, though, with uh, Brother Darrell Muhammad and and his crusade to uh, cut the crime rate in the D.C. public school system and all the school systems around the country. You want to join this discussion? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB in the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. I'm actually sticking with us, family. Our guest is Darrell Mohammed. Brother Darrell Mohammed is, is on a crusade to reduce the crime rate around the school school systems in Washington, D.C., and the other systems as well. Momentarily, we're going to speak with Dr. Dove. Dr. Dove is an Africologist from Temple University. But let's wrap up with Darrell. So, Brother Darrell, what's the next move for you? Now you know you've got some opposition out there for you trying to stop the crime rate around the school system with our young people. What's your move? Well, uh, in June the 15th, I'm going to have a Stop the Killing Summit, uh, where I'm going to end the, uh, the tour uh, in schools, but more so that's not going to end the work in the streets. Because this is the key. Uh, we have to galvanize and inspire and educate our people of what's going on, but you cannot do it from a building. So in order to have peace, we have to make an atmosphere of peace. Because, God, there's no fisherman that can catch a fish from his house. He must go to the lake, ocean, or river to catch that fish. 
there's no plumber that can stop a leak from a house. He can't do it from his house. He has to go to the location and fix that leak. There's no electrician that can cut on the electrician from his house. He has to go to that building or that location. So whatever we think that we can do or know how to do, we have to take it and go out in the street and educate our people how to do it. That's the key. And last but not least, you know, I reflected on the brother's uh, question about the Geno Jenkins and our brother T.D. Jakes. But see, man, you know, when you look at it, I got a, one of the degrees I have is American Studies. And America is a modern Rome, and we can't forget that. And like Rome of yesterday, Rome had 14 Caesars. Twelve of them was homosexuals. Rome was so powerful that it wasn't an outside force that destroyed. See, Rome was destroyed for immorality. Likewise with America. So when you're talking about reform, trans, that's what I'm talking about. You reform the alcoholic, you ain't got to worry about the damn liquor store. You get the person off crack cocaine, you ain't got to worry about him buying no damn drugs. Do you have a program? Do you have the method to do it? That's what I'm talking about. This is hard. If it was easy, then it could be done. That's what I'm talking about. That's why everything has continued to go up the murdering, the robbery, the carjacking, all of that, bro. See, so the thing for me is I always talk about call a cocktail of things. So certain things I don't know how to do that I got to rely on somebody else to do. So it's going to take our unity call. Uh, and before we let you go, Brother Dyra, uh, uh, give us a, uh, some information. How can folks reach you if they want to bring what your, your program to their city? How can they reach you? They can call my telephone number directly at 202-274-0441. And if you would like to donate to help me do more, you can donate to Safety Measures Matter. Dot org. And thank you in advance, family. All right. Thank you, uh, Dyrell Muhammad from Washington, D.C. 800-450-7876 is number to call to speak to our next guest, who happens to be uh, Afrocologist Professor Dr. Nod Duff from Temple University. Good morning, Dr. Duff. Good morning. Thank, thank uh, you for having me on the show. So I, I hope that I produce something that makes sense. Thank you. I'm sure you will, because you come with, you know, for, for, for a lot of folks of, of uh, cosign that you hear. In fact, Dr. Malefia Asante said we should have you on. He's trying to find us some new black Pan-African leaders. And he says we got to speak with you. And also Dr. Melina Abdullah who was here uh, yesterday, and she mentioned that uh, to tell you hi. She says so she's a friend of yours yeah. as well. Wonderful so you, woman. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be discussing here with, with uh, Brother Dyrell Muhammad about the, the violence in our community. And Ashwa yeah. Kwesi tells us part of, the, part, of the, part of the reason for the violence is that our young people don't know them. They don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, know yeah. thyself. I want to get your thoughts about that. Do you think if our young people, because this is African Heritage Month, if our young people knew who they, their ancestors were and what their ancestors did, they, they wouldn't be acting in this, always with some of this negative behavior. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, my thoughts are in full agreement that it's an educational process and the battle is for the minds because the minds can be used to support all this inequality or to see beyond this and see the truth of humanity and the truth of 
actually who we are. All of that has been hidden from us purposefully because it's part of conquest and it's a part of domination and controlling people's actions through a culture that believes in the uh, in the race paradigm, the domination of black people. So I agree if we um, have uh, the ability to educate our youth, of course, they will uh, be able to see their real mission and who they truly are. So I 100% agree with you. I think that, you know, that's what Africology is about. Yeah, can you explain what Africology is about for our listeners? Well, it, it's uh, it's really a window into the past and potential future. It is theoretically grounded in um, Afrocentricity, a theory which loves the humanity of African people, of Black people, and it seeks the true history of who Black people are, and there's much research that comes out of uh, the discipline itself in finding uh, evidence to support the African origin of civilization. And um, so it's a way of, of uh, the discipline itself is a way of understanding um, our own humanity and where we have come from and where we understanding the route to where we are today. Um, it is about education. It is about the mind, but it's about using it to be able to change the world. It's the only discipline, it is an academic discipline, but it's the only discipline in the Pan-European Academy in any of the uh, European universities which is spread across the world. It differs from them because it's not grounded in the belief in uh, black African inferiority, and it is not uh, uh, part of... Uh, and the belief in, in the enslavement of African people uh, and profiting from the monies accrued from African people's blood, sweat and tears. So we're really the only discipline that is not racist and um, that comes from um, a, a true uh, position of who African people actually are. And that is what we try to teach so that our work can um, recover and uh, relocate ourselves in our own story because we have been dislocated for the reasons to maintain um, uh, our energies and use them for other purposes other than those that we came into the world to. Um, right. And let me jump in here and, and ask you this, though, because, you know, it, this is Black History Month or African Heritage yeah. Month, as some people say. But many times when we speak and think about African History Month, we talk about our sojourn here, what we're doing here, what we did after we reached these shores. We never go back 
to ancient Egypt where, where are our ancestors? Why is that? And how should we, should, should that be a concern? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is a very big concern um, because essentially uh, Black History Month is a hard one, right? Many people have died um, to have the right to talk about Black History Month and to focus on the achievements of black people in the society. But it is part of the race paradigm, which is the hierarchy of humanity, the belief that we are all different races and the, the so-called black race is the most inferior of all these races and the so-called white race is the most superior. So it's uh, within that race paradigm that we're looking at black history, which limits who we actually are, because in the race paradigm, we're inferior. And in it, uh, we see ourselves inside a sort of black race paradigm. So even inside our own blackness, what we're saying, we are the black race. Um, we're looking at ourselves in the same uh, melanated uh, fields of superiority and inferiority so that the light, lightest skinned black people are superior to the darkest skinned black people. We, we call that colorism, but it's racism because the uh, culture that, we, that is imposed upon our minds is a racist culture. And so that is how we are looking at ourselves through the lens of the oppressor. So if the oppressor can maintain um, this force or this belief in these races, then we ourselves become the masters and mistresses of our own races and keep everything uh, coordinated and um, everything in line with this false thinking, which is like grounded really in a, a polygenesis theory that there were different races that arose from different parts of the world. Um, that's long been proven to be crazy, but at the same time, we believe in it because if we believe in races, then we're taking that theory and making it real, and it's never been real. There is only one human race, and that is uh, humanity, and that is African. It was born in, we were born in Africa. Our, all our ancestors are the people who populate the world um, are African. 
and you know there are people like Ivan Van Sertima, um, Renoko Rashidi, um, Wayne Chandler, and and others, many others, who have sought to find the African origin of humanity, which um, Sheikh Antijil joke gave us as a way of understanding uh, the population of the world that we we are all African and our major differences are really not based on anything genetic because we're all African so uh, we're 99.9% .9 the same but uh, what has happened is that our well hold on thought right there Dr. Dove because we're going to take a short break and we come back I'll let you finish but also tell us why so many of well so many some of us don't want to identify with being African we're anything but African and that color yeah. scheme that you mentioned why are we mimicking the oppressor what they do how's that how yeah. did that get into our psyche if yeah. you can explain that I really appreciate it right. it's 14 minutes after the top of the hour family our guest is africologist they're from Temple University Professor Nod Dove you got a question or a comment reach out to us at 800-450-7876 we're going to class right now and we'll be back in four minutes in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and in the DMV we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Nod Dove. She teaches at Temple University. She's an Africologist, as she just explained. Before we left for the short break, the question that I asked her was, why so many of us are refusing to identify with Africa? We think the most negative things about Africa, we, don't, we, don't, we want to be everything else except African. And, and as she mentioned, we're all from Africa, so we're all African, basically. And also on the, color, the axis of this, the color spectrum. Uh, you know, black being the most uh, or the most Africoid, if you will, at the end of the, uh, the most negative part of that color spectrum, and the closest to the oppressor is the most. This is one that most people like. Can you explain what's going on right there, Doctor Dove? Yes, um, it, it's a cultural thing. Uh, this this uh, culture represents the, diff the major differences among people because it affects the minds. The minds creates the culture. The culture influences the mind and what we believe we practice it manifests in societies and institutions and so on and um, during the conquest of Africa uh, and African people by Africans later who um, were dislocated from their ancestors and their original uh, people and knowledge of their original uh, home and um, these people who have uh, Southwest Asian and European people who have conquered African people as black people have created ideas about the inferiority of African people because they part of conquest is to get rid of the culture of the people that you've conquered and feed them the information of the culture that you've conquered them with. So notions of inferiority are in the conqueror's culture. And we go to school every day and watch movies and read papers every day that reaffirm um, our dislocation from Africa. 
the evolutionist theory is that um, Africa is a place of barbarians. And as we left Africa, because sometimes evolution even says we came out of Africa, but those people who left Africa became more civilized and eventually became Europeans and so, so on. Um, you know, this is falsehood, and much has been done to make Africa and African people appear to be barbarians and uncivilized. And so when we're taught this every day, and there's no other evidence or no other way of thinking about things, of course, we inherit the negativity it becomes a part of us and now we do our best to prove that we are human that that we are worthy of love uh, and good treatment and so on so we try we acquiesce to the disbelief in evolution and the inferiority of black people but none of it is true but we don't have any evidence to the contrary, because when you conquer a people, you have to get rid of that. So the reality is that it's the blackest-skinned people who taught the world anything, and it's the blackest-skinned people who had the first civilizations that we are aware of, and we can go back 100,000 years to Nzala Yilanga in South Africa, where there were stone buildings and all of them directed to the uh, cosmos, to the stars and the planets. So we had scientists even long, long before uh, we had Kemet, which is much older than Egyptologists pretend it is so that Europeans can be involved in its construction, whereas at that time, people called Europeans who have become white in the race paradigm didn't really ha didn't have anything to do with it and weren't even in existence at that time. So you can go to uh, the UK, for instance, and and uh, find bones nine thousand years old where uh, the first Europeans there were dark-skinned Africans and there's evidence of that but you know it's not it's not stuff that we uh, are supposed to know because then we will know that it's a falsehood to say that we are inferior and all these other types of ridiculous um, attributes or non-attributes that have been placed upon the head of African people. We are taught this. Every institution is racist. So, uh, you know, it's very hard to to understand something outside what has been uh, given to us. The, the whole of the academic world that we're in, the Pan-European Academy, teaches it believes in African inferiority. So even if we're professors, we can still believe that. And, you know, we're trained to do this. And these universities are all over the world. And we are being trained to, to believe in our own inferiority based on how much melanin we have in our skin. So some of us can, you know, be lighter skinned and think, you know, that we've overcome this thing, separate ourselves and and see ourselves as dark skin, like, you know, the, the race paradigm is, uh, is 
discrimination in any society that has been conquered um, to to uh, understand who we truly are. So that's why Africology, your radio show, um, schools, black schools are places where these ideas can materialize and we can actually develop our minds and understand truth because it's all about truth. Yeah, and let me jump in here at 28 after the top of the hour. But so why are they under attack? You know, we're talking about first you want to go to the college campuses, the African studies departments, or or, or history departments, African history departments, or Africana studies, they're all under attack. Well, I should say all, but most of them. You're lucky you're a temple with uh, Dr. Malefi Asante. But I hear from chairmen of African studies departments across this country, and they, and they complain. One of the complaints is that it's not enough students who, who are applying to take the courses because, you know, a lot of times it's not required. It's just an elective and they're trying to convince our young people to study Africa and, and it, it's providing to be a, t- a task but I want, I want you to answer that question too on the academic level but on the on the broader spectrum why are they always attacking us why they're after us why are the oppressors after all this time you know f- they had us physically constrained now they have us mentally constrained but why us yeah well because uh, many of these people know exactly the history of Africa, and they're trying to prevent that knowledge from being available to us. You know, so the hard-won rights of, of African people, of black people, being able to study and to create the um, these disciplines and create the uh, ability to seek truth is seen to be a danger because it's about... Uh, you know, the maintaining order through the race paradigm, through the idea of race. And what is happening is that people are wanting to know truth. And this is a hard one, right? Again, like black history, that there were uh, black um, schools and black uh, history and Africana history and so on. These are all hard one rights. And they're all about African people having, uh, creating um, ideas that can seek knowledge and truth. And seekers of truth are always a danger to the structure. And by the way, Dr. Asante is under threat. Now, department is under threat in Philadelphia. And this is one of the problems that occurs when African people themselves believe in race and European ideas and Arabic ideas, and then start to get rid of people in, you know, like, say, with the Black Panthers, all the different organizations where there are people inside there who believe in the, you know, in in the theories of the of the dominators, and they will try to get rid of our own people, so to speak. And that's what's happening to Dr. Asante and a number of uh, professors in the department. It comes from within. And that's a really sad state of affairs as Dr. Asante is the one who created the department and he's now being threatened by uh, people inside the department. Um, based on lies and fiction, it's nothing to do with truth or reality. It's part of that um, deconstructing 
these uh, uh, places, these disciplines that that challenge the things that we're being taught about ourselves. And uh, so it's part of that movement that you've spoken about, but I just want you to know it's happening in Philadelphia in in our discipline, which is, you know, the primary place of the world, really, because, you know, it's... uh, it's spreading to Africa and other parts of the world. The idea of Afropology, the discipline and the, and the theory of Afrocentricity is under threat. I mean, Dr. Santis' books are, have been banned and people who are um, talking about truth and, and discovering these things about Africa, their books have been banned to prevent this knowledge getting out there and they fear it because it's true and that the leadership is only there through conquest and fear over hundreds of years and what they profess to be is actually not true. So even though they control the institutions, the educational institutions as well as the health, the economic, the religious, yes, institutions, even though they control these things, um, there are still people who are breaking away from that false knowledge and seeing through that, and they're trying to stop that um, because they're fearful of, of the repercussions, which is part of madness. Well, we'll come up on break. Well, let's take the break. Well, let me ask you this question. You can ponder it over the break, though. What are they afraid of? Why, what concerns them if our people will wake up and figure out who they are or who we are? What, what yeah. do they think is going to happen, uh, Dr. Dove? If you can, when we get back, if you can explain that, because uh, you're right, they're trying to shut down all of these college campuses and trying to re- uh, restrict even with the books that our, our, our people can read. They're trying to keep us from learning about our history. But my concern is, what are they, what is, what's, scared, what, what's scaring them about this, that we will rise up against them or something? Maybe you can explain that to us when we get back. As I mentioned, we're going to take a short break, family. You want to join this conversation with Dr. Nod Dove, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family, and thanks for waking up with us this morning. Our guest is Dr. Nod Dove. Professor Nov is a professor of Africology at Temple University, and we're discussing you know, Black History Month or African Heritage History Month. Before we go back to her, let me just uh, send out our condolences to the fans and the family of Henry Fambor. He was the last original member of the Spinners, or the Detroit Spinners, as they started out when they were with Motown. He made his transition uh, yesterday. Uh, Henry Farnborough was 85. Tomorrow's Friday, and we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Dr. Dove, my question to you is, what are the what is the 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 pressure of whatever we want to call them? What are they afraid of? Why are they trying to put so much so many obstacles in a, in front of us to stop us from knowing who we are? What what concerns them the most? And do they do it to any other ethnic group, or is it just us? Um, no, it, it, it's 
it's not just us. Um, if we look at the the race paradigm and we look at um, so-called white people and what they've done to their own white people, we will find that heinous crimes being committed against people who have been enslaved and murdered too, you know, even before meeting uh, their African ancestors and uh, maintaining that kind of cultural belief system. Uh, one of the things they fear is the heinous crimes that have been committed is their payback. Um, you know, with their vague understanding of uh, religious principles, so-called. But the other thing is that if people uh, are all able to access truth, then we can see that all these hierarchies and falsehoods are falsehoods, and we can see that we have a lot more in common um, than than not in common than differences uh, which are all used to maintain these hierarchies and uh, you know these these hierarchies are all of them false you know we live in them we live and die by them but every hierarchy whether it's uh, economic hierarchies gender hierarchies and so on they all of them at the bottom of all of them is the blackest-skinned person. So, it, you know, it, it, everything has been racialized. Um, but the thing is that, you know, cultures are different. If we look at joke, we have the original African culture where women and men were had reciprocal relationships and sought harmonious relationships, and that is the foundation of the principles and truth and the reciprocity and so on. Um, that's where something can exist with that female-male reciprocity, the father and mother of humanity. And as Joe tried to show that over time, um, that uh, changes, that a new culture forms with the uh, man dominating the woman. And so a new sense of personhood evolved from that, a selfish one, individualistic one, more and more, because surely you have to be aggressive to maintain such a Right, and, and your phone's gone a little bit south on us, Dr. Dr. Dave. You can get real closer to that phone. I appreciate yeah. it. And, and, and mm -hmm. the family she's talking about, Dr. Shekhan Tishap, you know, because not, not everybody in the is on the same level in the classroom here. <laughs> so I just wanted okay. to make sure that, that some of the other ones who are not familiar with uh, Shekhan Tishap, what she's talking about. And, and family, just if you're not, just do the research. But continue, Dr. Dove. Yes, well, they're essentially through his theoretical positions, two different kinds of culture. One that is uh, based on the harmonious relationship with the mother and the father, and the other that is based on the first hierarchy and the first injustice, which is the domination of the woman. And these two cultures essentially are the foundation of many, many cultures. They're all 
spin-offs from these two cultures. And so where we are at the moment, we're living in a, in a, a culture that is both uh, patriarchal and racist. And they two work together, patriarchy and racism. Wherever there's patriarchy, there's racism. Wherever there's racism, there's patriarchy. They're, they're bound. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're living in a racist patriarchy where the religions actually support that, you know, through the belief in the inferiority of the black person and the black woman and the black man, the father of humanity. So, you know, there are no rules, there are no regulations, but there are times when the conquerors wonder are there comebacks to the cruelty that has been uh, carried out over the centuries? That's their, one of their major fears. And the other fear is that people will come to know that they have more in common with each other and understand their relationship and actually work against people that try to divide humanity which has been done so successfully with ideas of evolution and inferiority of black people and so on. This is all our teaching, but were we to know the truth of our common history and that all our ancestors are black, we all came out of Africa, we have a culture of uh, peace and balance and so on, um, then we would see ourselves differently. There would be more of a way of embracing humanity rather than being divided on spurious grounds that are not true, that the melanin content in our skin makes us different. It's just our cultural orientation. You can have black people who believe in, in racism and practice and support a system of racism, and uh, black people who can believe in, um, you know, the African origin of humanity and see Africa as a place where the first civilizations came from, something that we're proud of, something that we can aspire to, something that we can say, well, if we've done these things in the past, such as respected ourselves, respected uh, the environment, uh, you know, all these types of things, and we can do it again because really for African people, we're in a retrograde motion. We've actually been going backwards. We actually know less than we used to know. And this is wow. why the, the concept of evolution is such a mad one because it doesn't make any sense. It begins at a time when the people who've constructed it, Europeans, um, are, are starting from when they believe that they are the superior people of the world. And so. And, and hold that thought right there, Dr. Doka. Let me ask you this, 13 yeah. minutes away from the top of the hour. Is that why yeah. some of us internalize when we're dealing with white folks, we... You know, we don't, we don't don't want to sound too black or anything too black. And we're always on guard. Well, not some of us are always on guard when it comes around to white folks. We feel like we have to we have to deal with them differently. We're afraid to even this conversation we're having now. 
you know, they're afraid to even let people know they're having a conversation like this because they're afraid what, what the oppressor might do or, the, or what might the oppressor might think about them because they're always seeking validation. But if you know who you are, you won't have to seek validation from any white person at, at all. This kind of conversation, you know, scares not just white folks, it scares some black people. They're going on their jobs right now and they're, they're, and, and they're genuflecting to, to the oppressor and they don't understand why they're doing it. Can you help those folks out? And we don't want anybody yes. to get fired now for listening to us with what, what, what yes. Dr. Dove is about yes. to say. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing is that you, this is why we have to understand history because we have to uh, recognize the uh, slaughter, the genocide, the heinous crimes that have been committed against black people that make us who we are today. So we're the you know, the people who are trying to look back at who we were before these crimes were committed. But these crimes are very real and they have impacted uh, culturally in our minds as to how we should behave to survive. Um, you know, so so it's very understandable um, that in a, the race paradigm, that has been created through uh, murder and conquest, um, you know, it, the only option, if you believe in the race paradigm, is to do what has been done to you to move the position of, of, the, of the race, whichever race, whether we're white, yellow, red, black, and brown, um, uh, brown and black. Uh, in order to move the position, we have to do what created that 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 uh, structure in the first place, which was murder and genocide. And we can it, we only have to look at uh, not only our own history, but the history of the red people, so-called, in this country, who lost in the Americas, you know, seventy-something million people. And they were originally African. You can read the work of Dr. David Imhotep that follows through with Van Sertima and all those people to see the African origin of humanity. And, you know, and what do we know about them? They're our sisters and brothers. They're not even in the history that we learn at school. And their values and beliefs were African. They were... African matriarchal people that believed in the principles of the ancients. And that was sort of a weakness because the people that they welcomed on the land were the ones that actually killed them. So that isn't up for analysis. And yet they are, you know, we are on their lands and we are related to them. So I'm saying that a fear is that we all learn who we are and see really what's going on. You know, every time, you know, people like the Black Panthers, there, there were uh, European people who rose up and supported the Black Panthers 100%, went on the streets to fight for their rights. So, you know, when that happens, then you have to get rid of the cause of that unity, and that's that's what we're up against. So it is fearful, and sometimes it's just in our cultural memory, and we don't actually know why we do these things psychologically, but we know these 
messages have been handed down over years of survival. When you meet these people, always lower your eyes, walk this way, don't challenge them, because the history is that if you did, you were killed. So it's a fear that's still there, and it's an absolutely understandable, because to speak truth is to risk death. That's just the bottom line. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And doctors, we're coming on a break, but you know, what's it going to take for us to stand up? I want to find out if you're optimistic about the future for us as black people. Do you think we, we you think we can survive at this rate? Because it seems like, as you mentioned, we're going backwards. And many of our people, they don't want to be, don't even have a conversation like this. You know, this is, this is they, they don't want to hear any stuff like that. They don't want to hear anything about Africa. And then you got another set who says, we're not African, we're, we're ADOS and we're, and they're confusing the people that we're fundamental Americans, you know, and, and that kind of nonsense. How do, how do we bridge that gap? Because it seems like some of our people just afraid to learn, not just afraid to learn, but afraid to, to think for themselves. They just let people tell them anything and they roll with it. So we're going to, we're going to take the break when we come back. I'll let you explain that for us. Family just joined us. I guess is Dr. Na Dove. She's a professor of agroecology at Temple University, along with Dr. Malefia Sande as well. So if you want to join the conversation, hit us up at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM. 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Now Dove. She teaches at Temple University along with Malefi Asante, Dr. Asante, and she's a professor of Africology. Before I let you answer my question, Dr. Dove, oh, just want to remind family, Charles Barron is on deck. We get to him. He's an activist out of New York. But Roger is calling from California, has a question for Dr. Dove. Uh, good morning, Roger. Habari uh, Ghani Carl. Good morning, Dr. Dove. Uh, I've been listening to you all morning, and, and you've been spreading a false narrative. Uh, you too, Carl. You, you keep saying that we don't know who we are. Well, we may not know who we are but we can't be African because Africa is a continent. You have to be more specific. All you do is confuse the people. You say, we don't know who we are, but we can't be African because among the well, continent. Well, let me ask you, Roger, Roger, since we're not African, who are we? 
Well, that's what we don't know. Are we Ghanaian? Are we Nigerian? Are we Egyptian? Are we oh, Ethiopian? You're talking about this, the African states. I get I get you. All right, Dr. Well, Dove, you want to respond to Roger's question? Because yeah, I don't think it's a false narrative. Yeah. But thank you for your call, yeah. Roger. Dr. Dove, go ahead. Thank, thank you, you so much, Roger. Um, these uh, Nigerian uh, different countries that have been constructed in Africa uh, are based on the conquest of Africa. And so uh, these uh, different countries in the north uh, by Arabic people and uh, in the south by Europeans are all uh, constructs um, that have divided Africa for the wealth and resources that Africa has. They sat down in 1884 at the Berlin Conference and decided how to divide Africa, although the top part of Africa had already been colonized, conquered, and enslaved people taken. Africans as enslaved uh, were captured and enslaved, and that was already um, colonized by uh, Islam. So, uh, you know, these divisions are themselves false divisions. There are nations within Africa um, that exist that have been forced into calling themselves nation-state names um, um, to satisfy the the, uh, conquerors and um, to enable people once again to be categorized as these particular people. Um, so uh, Roger's buying into the what happened at the Berlin Conference when they carved up Africa. And he's buying in what the oppressor did, at the end yeah. result. Yeah, I get it. Yes. And, and so, you know, we're using the term African really as a way to having a, a unified understanding because it's the culture that although there are many uh, uh, cultures in Africa, they all are very similar in the sense of their values and beliefs, uh, respect for the elders, um, respect for the ancestors, love of children, um, always aspiring to female and and male uh, balance and harmony. These are the things that are all over Africa that make African culture as a belief system um, shows the, the commonality among all these African cultures. And um, so this is why we, we use that as a way to say that although we're different nations, even different phenotypes, we are really all culturally uh, related to each other. And so that, that it's just a way to try to understand our African origins as humanity. Homo sapiens came out of Africa, um, were born in Africa, so humans today are all born in Africa. We don't know all the different nations they were before they populated the world. And so all these countries um, have all been designed to, um, you know, to maintain a governing order uh, amongst people, but they don't necessarily represent the nations of people, as we have in in the U.S. right now. We there are nations of people that were here, um, you know, when Europeans came, 
and uh, you know they're called First Nation people. We don't know necessarily know their nations because they've been omitted from the history. Um, but uh, mm. they they were nations first, but we call them First Nations because of the simili- sim- similitude in their beliefs right. and values. And Dr. Hold that thought right there because we've got Dr. Uh, Charles Barron on deck. I'm, I'm going to ask him a similar question when he comes on, but we've got a quick call from London. Paul's listening to us. He's on line three. Paul, good morning. You're on with Dr. Dove. Uh, good morning, uh, Baba Kwesi, and good morning to your guest. I know you're short of time, so I'm going to be running it up very quickly. Uh, y- y- your guest said, made a statement. She said, we know less than we used to, and I, and I heard you, uh, you You said, wow. Now, I felt that because a long time ago I come to the same conclusion. So the first question to your guest is, she said, we know less than we used to. Uh, can she just uh, uh, um, explain that? And secondly, I'd like her to, if she can, if it's possible, uh, I, I had a brief look on the internet, um, you know, some of, uh, of her history. And she, she's been in Canada and various places in Africa, uh, obviously the UK. I'd like her to um, explain where she finds uh, what, she, what you refer to as racism. I call it Afrophobia. I'd like her to explain where that personifies itself or expresses itself the most, in what, what country she's been in. Where does that express itself the most? Um, thank you for your time. Um, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. All right, that's Paul reaching to us from the UK. Dr. Dove, you got thank the questions? Uh, I, I think I have overall. Um, was that... Uh, <laughs> To do with where, because of the countries that I've lived in, where racism expresses itself most for. Um, I I know that having, I, I did grow up in, in my formative years in, in Africa. Not all countries are racist, but my experience in the UK, for instance, um, is one, uh, my recognition is that is one of the places that really manifests a racism to one of the highest degrees that that I've known, um, not only to the people who go to live in the UK, and very recently, I think in the last two years, there were two um, dark-skinned uh, Af- people of African phenotypical <laughs> origin who wrote a report saying that there's no racism in the UK, which is complete madness. Uh, it thrives off racism. That's how it was built. Um, but in the Caribbean, where uh, African people were taken and enslaved uh, by uh, Europeans from from uh, Britain, some of the harshest treatment of African people enslaved took place in the Caribbean. Um, there are records to show that, you know, the, the burying a person up to the head and then pouring uh, molasses on the head so that flies can, and, and different creatures can eat the head of the living person until the person dies. This is very similar to what happened in um, Australia, and I've been there too, uh, in the history where they, they have said, professors have said, people have said, 
where the uh, original people who came out of Africa about 70,000 years ago and still practice many of the beliefs and values, even though they've been wiped off the face of the earth, more or less. Um, but that's an interesting story. But the people were buried with their heads, um, buried up to their heads, and then their heads were used as footballs. So, you know, that that's, uh, these types of things um, are sort of based on the belief that, that African people were not human. Or, and when I say African, I'm looking at black people, phenotypes, phenotypically African, although there are different phenotypes in Africa, um, the, but people who are dark-skinned. Uh, in the Caribbean. So I think from the history that I know of the Caribbean, history that I'm coming to know of other parts of the world and the history I know of Australia, um, it, it, these are it, it's still happening, genocide still happening, and even the history of the people here before um, Africans were captured and enslaved here, heinous crimes have been committed against um, people's humanity. So, in a way, because the, the history is hidden here, it's hard to know the exact. Right. And uh, uh, in, in the interest of time, uh, uh, Dr. Dove, his other question about time as well. He, he asked you about, uh, Paul asked you about time. He said, We don't have much time left. Can you quickly ex respond to that? About what? Sorry? He said about time because he said you said that we're running out of time or something to that effect. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hello. Um, I think I said something about in the past, we, we know less than we used to know right. as human beings. And, you know, we can know that because we go back to places like uh, Kemet to see the evidence of the things that have been written and the things that we used to know and the sciences that we used to practice and, and things like that. So we have tons of evidence. We can go back to thousands of years before and the sciences that were known that really fed into ancient Egypt and enabled ancient Egypt to be one of those great civilizations. There was stuff happening before that sciences were known. They didn't invent sciences. Um, but, you know, you, you, you are... But these are the histories, the truths of humanity that we have to get to know. And um, But I am absolutely optimistic as a person. I live because I'm optimistic. Otherwise, I would just commit suicide. But I believe that there is a future and that we're working towards a different type of future that African people, phenotypically, but we're all 
different phenotypes of, of African people, but we have the potential to seek and find truth uh, to work towards a different kind of future than the ones that the conquerors are, you know, um, infiltrating our minds with. They're all, they're, you know, I believe in the schools, the teaching of the children um, uh, uh, of truth. I've written a book on that. I believe um, that organizations, radio shows, um, television shows that, uh, you know, people like Ava DuVernay, there, there are people who are with us now, who are the young people who are making these changes, and these changes are occurring. We've got, you know, district attorneys uh, challenging based on truth, based on my art principles that have been carried on for centuries in the culture of people, everybody... Right. And Dr. Zell, we're going to have to stop it yeah. there because we just come up on a break, Sorry. and I just want to thank the <laughs> Charles. And no, thank you for... We learned a lot this morning with you. But how can folks reach you? Are you on social media? And what's the title of your book? Um, the book... There were two books. The book is The Afrocentric School, A Blueprint. Um, that's one of the books. And the other one is with Dr. Asante. Uh, I was honored enough to, uh, for him to ask me if I would write a, a book with him, which is hum Being Human Being. And I think that really spells out much of what I'm trying to say. Um, so Being Human Being by Dr. Asante and myself and the Afrocentric School of Blueprint. And this is for... You know, if your parents with children and you want their, your children to be learning uh, truth about, you know, our, uh, our history and things that have taken place, our commonalities, the different uh, people in different parts of the world who are our sisters and brothers, um, the Afrocentric School Blueprint. Okay. So, yeah. And real quickly, are you on social media? How can folks reach you? I'm not on social media. Good for you. Um, <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> Dr. Dub, thank you. Thank you for the information that you shared with us this morning. But thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, give our regards to Dr. Asante. And of, oh, of course, uh, thank you. Thank you. At 14 after the top of our family, we got to take. We're going to take a short break here. We come back. Uh, Charles Barron's been patiently waiting for us, and we're going to deal with him when we come back. But we, as I mentioned, we got to step aside and get caught up on some latest information. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, information is power. Charles Barron is in our classroom right now. He's going to take us home. Charles Barron, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning, sir. It's always good to be on with you. I really appreciate it. You, you, and the information you share with our people is an honor. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, before before we get started, though, because uh, somebody for Roger recommended a book. He was talking about Africa. That we, you know, he said that we don't know what Africans we are if we're Nigerian, or Ghanaian, or whatever. Uh, the, the book recommended by brother from Buffalo says that for Roger says the cultural unity of Africa by Shekanti Jop. So that's you know because and I, I'm I'm not sure if you heard the question though. He was asking what, what where in Africa yeah, are we heard. from? Yeah. What's your reaction to that? You know, my reaction is that first twofold, if I, if I may. First, when a white man calls us something, we don't argue. 
When the white man said we were colored, we accepted it at a time. When the white man said we were Negroes, we accepted it as a time. And when we fought for greater consciousness and said, no, we're black, uh, we accepted that. And then we're African-American, a double identity, which doesn't make sense, but we accepted that. But sometimes when we say, hey, we're an African people, and people have challenges with that. We're suffering from a lack of unity of identity, and they did this on purpose. First of all, let's deal with the collective naming of a people. When people say, and it's on a census form, Asian Americans, I'm Asian. Nobody argues with, well, you from China or you from Korea? I'm Asian. They name themselves after a continent to let the world know that I came from that continent and that culture and that history. People say they're European, a continent. This is from my brother who said we Africans, which state we come from. Some people say they're European. And they may want to add that they're Italian, Spain, whatever, but they are Europeans. They name themselves after a continent. We are unique people in that we were displaced from the continent of Africa and dispersed all over the world. Dr. John Henry Clark said it simplistically and best, I think, when he said, you're not who you are based upon where the ships dropped you off but they, you are who you are based upon where the ships picked you up from. And they picked us all up from Africa. No, we don't know which particular state. No, we don't know which particular clan or tribe or whatever they want to call it. We can't get that specific. They took our language away from us, took our culture away from us. So as we move into the 21st century, we can't be who we are based upon where we're born. Do you know there's no such thing as an American? They made that up. These were the colonists who came from England and France and the French and the English, the stolen land from the indigenous people here, and then said, we are 13 colonies of England. Then they wanted their independence, and they made up the United States of America. It was a made-up term. What's an American? There is no such thing culturally or ethnically as an American. Your legal identity is you're an American citizen because they call this country America. Your legal identity is that, but your cultural and ethnic identity, we're an African people, and that's where life started. So it will be good as we go into the 21st century. I still use black because our people respond to that, relate to that, but even black. When you talk about other people and they say, oh, who are you? And I'm Chinese. Oh, you're from China. Okay. Who are you? Well, I'm Vietnamese. Oh, you're from Vietnam. Who are you? I'm black. There ain't no black land. You can't say I'm black. Yeah, I'm from black land. So we're from Africa originally, and we need to embrace that identity so that we have a culture, a history, and a geographical place to locate ourselves. Well, let me jump in and ask you this then. So why so many of our people are afraid to embrace Africa? What's going on? Have we been programmed that badly? Is it self-hate? How do you see it? Well, I think it's programmed. We've been programmed to think Africa was the land where Tarzan, a white man, you know, on, on some vines swinging through the jungles and and screaming and yelling and upsetting everybody and fear keeping uh, 
bringing fear into African people and even the animals follow them. When you say African, we think of jungles. When you say African, we think of cannibalism and we eat people. And so all of the negative uh, connotations of Africa being displayed all over the the media and social media, you name it, everything negative. And if you're black, it's even negative. So your coarse hair is nappy and bad hair. Your beautiful, rich, dark, ebony complexion, your melanin is ugly. Your your attractive noses, broad noses, is ugly. Your full lips that they're all trying to get now themselves is ugly. So this is a way of having the people hate whom, who they are. And so that happens a lot. And then the other thing is people say, I wasn't born in Africa. I was born here. So how am I African? I've never been to Africa. I don't know nothing about Africa. And I say, well, if my lovely African queen wife, Inez Barron, and I went to China, and we just so happened to have a baby in China, no one would call that baby Chinese because we're two African people having a baby in China. So you're not who you are where you're born. It's where your place of origin is. And I think people have difficulties connected with that. And I remember some people used to tell me, you know, they don't like you in Africa. You'll always say you're African people. Those people don't like us at first. Well, it's not those people. Those are our people. And I've been to Africa, five, six different countries, and they all embrace me as their long-lost brother. The 21st century, y'all, we are an African people. Race is a social construct that was introduced to the world by Europeans for the purposes of dividing and conquering us. And i got to ask you this question at 28 after the top there, because we're going to touch on a bunch of subjects with you, uh, Charles Barron. But we see that some of our people, they get to be the closest thing to white as they can. And, you know, some of our key entertainers, some of our athletes, are they changing their hair and uh, bleaching their skin? And it's not just in this country, too, but in the Caribbean and, and also on the continent. What can we say to those people? How can we, because it seems like they feel the closer they get to white, the more successful they are in whatever endeavor they're involved in. How can we, how can we turn that around? How can we show them that Wesley Slimes is a great actor, but he's, he's still blue black, but he's a Nina Simone. How, how can we, you know, get that, that message across, to, especially to our young people? Well, we suffer a form of cultural imperialism. And one of the ways to keep a people enslaved culturally and one way of people keeping us colonized and feeling that we're um, lesser than than whites and others is to continually attack uh, who you are, uh, African and your features and everything else. So I think the best way we can do that is that we have to take control over the propaganda uh, tools in our communities, whether it's social media, whether it's dressing the flesh, you know, talking to people in their homes, barbershops, and raising the importance of, of being proud of who we are. And remember, this all relates to power, which we'll be talking about a little later in the program. People want to identify with power. So if people in power tell you that wearing of a certain tie is dressing for success and you, the oppressed, fall for that cultural uh, requirement, and you tell your young people, you got to get that shirt and tie. And and then I'd love to come back and talk about linguistics, black linguistics. If they say the way you speak is bad English, 
We're not English men and women. We're Africans. And this is what that whole Ebonics movement was about. It wasn't about not teaching our children standard English so they can, quote-unquote, make it in society. It was saying that the way you speak is not bad. It's different, and it has cultural uh, connections to Africa. So, you know, we have to re-educate our people and let them know that we don't speak bad. We don't have bad hair. Our noses are not ugly. Our lips are not ugly. And that's going to take a lot of work. But it works better when you have power. Can you imagine if we had the power of the economics and means of production and the politics in our community and the land and the businesses? And we said, listen, if you want a job in our liberated nation of Kujijakalia, which was formerly known as Brooklyn, just making it up, you know, you you have to wear a dashiki. You have to speak Ebonics or Swahili. Then that's what everybody would have to do because they would standardize it, uh, standardize it based on power. See, it's standard English, not proper English. It's based upon people uh, speaking a language that those in power demand that you speak so that they can maintain control. We have to get that message to our people that the darker you are, the beautiful, more beautiful you are. And, you know, because somebody has eyes that look like Europeans, they're not prettier. You know, Cleopatra was not white. Bo Derek did not start cornrows, you know. And we got to take claim of our culture. And this is why the December 12th movement under the leadership of uh, Viola Plummer, who just made her transition, we'll talk about that a little later, always told us that culture is a weapon. It's a weapon of liberation. But how do we compete against, you know, we're up against the mass media. The people we see on television, uh, you know, in the movies, the, the people from our, our tribe, they, the, many of them are the closest thing to white. How, how can we compete against that? The same way we compete against the powerful American capitalist system, the same way we compete against the American empire abroad with the imperialistic foreign policy, the same way we compete in the, in the school systems fighting for curriculums of inclusion, and we won in some cases, the same way we compete in fighting off them not wanting us to teach our history and say it's illegal. We have to begin to write our books. We have to begin to build our organizations. Social media, media to some extent, can be a means, and also even the mass media. I have been on TV, regular mass programs. I've been in, in newspapers, the New York Times, the Daily News, all racist, capitalist communication vehicles, and have had articles in there that said, Charles Barron brings Africa to City Hall, because in my inauguration, when I first got elected, I focused on Africa, and I bring in speakers and everything, and we made, you know, we do the Juneteenth and the Kwanzaa. We have to begin to press the flesh. You know, one of the most powerful communication tools is pressing the flesh going from community to community, going to block association meetings and going to um, tenant association meetings in our communities and barbershops and beauty salons. How do you think Marcus Garvey in the 1920s, no social media, no mass media, press in the flesh, newspapers, 
reached over 10, 12 million African people all over the world and didn't have social media? How did Mao Tse-Sung have a revolution in China in 1949 and didn't have social media, didn't even do radio and TV and all that stuff, press in the flesh? How did Gandhi uh, move 400 million Indian people in India and have a revolution without having mass media? Certainly no emails, certainly no texting, none of that. They were able to influence the most potent weapon is when you can plant a seed of revolution and radical change in African consciousness in the fertile mind of the masses. All right, hold that thought right there, Charles. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back. Sandra in Baltimore wants to speak to you. Family, you two can join this conversation with Charles Barron. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Thanks for rolling with us all morning long. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, I guess it's Charles Barron. Charles is an activist out of New York City, a former lawmaker. And uh, before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you that tomorrow is Friday. You already know that. And we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, on our open phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Also with Charles, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about reparations because New York State now has reparations, and these are the one that he was pushing. Also, going to get an update on what's going on with Chairman O'Malley. But before we do, oh, before we do all of that, though, Sandra's calling from Baltimore. Has wants to speak with you, Charles. She's on line one. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Carl, and to your guest, Carl. You asked a question. Oh, by the way, excellent show this morning, and an excellent show now. You asked your question this morning: is why they don't want to know who we are and where we come from. Because they don't want you to know, because if you know, you're going to do better. They said that you're going to do better. If you know where you come from and what your your, your ancestors are really, really about, they're afraid that you're going to jump up, rebel, and, and overthrow them. That's why they don't want you to know. And as far as black people, some black people have lost their minds. When we had slang English going around saying slang words, they say, oh, that's bad. But, yeah, they holler cool and uh, all that and woke and all that. What they put out there, oh, that's fine. And then you got black people running around here putting cook seal in their butt. But when the black woman had the butt naturally, that was looked upon as, oh, that don't look nice. That's not right. But now you got white women that stole the butt and the lips. Now you got the brothers running after them, how about they look good and this and that. Come on, be real. You can't have it both ways. And some right. of our people really don't want to know where they come from and what they're from or what they're about. They don't want that because they have been woke. They want to be white. Hmm. All right, Sandra, let, let me give uh, Charles Brown a chance to respond to some of the stuff that you just okay. said. I thank, thank you for you your call nice this morning. morning. All right. Well, I actually, Carl, Sandra said it better than I could. <laughs> I agree with everything she said. I think she said it well plain and language that all of us could understand. And so, Sandra, I couldn't agree with you more. 
I, I got to ask you because you know one of the conversations we had this morning too was about the, the trouble in our community. The, 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 I don't want to use the term because it, it, it's 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 not so correct. Black on black crime, though, the, the hatreds that we have for each other. Uh, what can we do about that? Because you you know because you've been a lawmaker in Brooklyn, uh, in in the state of uh, of New York. How did you deal with that issue? Well, first of all, I don't use the term black on black crime. I call it community crime, because another thing that racism does, it connects our ethnicity, our blackness to crime. White people commit crimes. How come they don't have the term white on white crime? Asian people commit crime. You never hear Asian on Asian crime. No other race of people do you hear their ethnicity or their culture connected to the term crime. So it's community crime. And the way we deal with community crime in my beloved East New York, which is a high crime neighborhood, the way we've dealt with it and actually brought crime down is first and foremost, you have to get a seat of power. You have to get some power to have influence over the resources. And this is why I got into the electoral arena by becoming a city council member. I would get $5 million a year for capital projects, parks, and things like that in my community, 500000 a year to fund programs in my community, and another four or 500000 to hire people like Ms. Plummer, Viola Plummer, and Omawali, and members of the December 12 movement, and Joyce Simmons, and Karan Allen, and hire activists to organize. So the first thing we've got to do about crime is de- detach it from our race and ethnicity. Secondly, we got to make sure that we understand the root causes of crime. Who created the crime? Who created poverty and unemployment? And we have to realize that we live under a colonial capitalist system in America, and our black communities, as Dr. King called them, um, Kwame Ture, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael, the Black Panthers called them, we live in domestic colonies of a colonial capitalist system. It's important to understand those terms, and you'll understand how crime existed. First, the cultural imperialism gets you to hate yourself and not like anything black, which we've been talking about. Secondly, the root causes to a lot of our crime is poverty, and colonial capitalism creates the poverty by way of exploiting our labor and our resources in our neighborhood. The third thing to look at is unemployment. So connect unemployment and poverty. And then finally, one of the major factors of crime in our community is mental health issues. A lot of us are in need of serious mental health services. So when I got into the city council, I did a couple of things. One, to deal with poverty, I made sure that we created thousands and thousands of jobs in our community. I made sure that we had some input on the education system to get our people out of that self-hatred. And then we also made sure that some of our people owned businesses in our community, and some of our people were the developers of housing. We stopped gentrification, by the way, in our neighborhood. You want to find out how to do that? I'll tell you about that and how you can uh, call me up and uh, talk about that a bit. But anyway, we stopped gentrification. We created jobs, and we made sure that people in our district had parks and places where you can exercise. We had a community center built for $20 million, and guess who's running it? 
black youth, and many of them were blacks that there was uh, recently released from incarceration, knowing that they could not get jobs. So they were able to fund a program called Man Up Inc. under the leadership of Brother Andre T. Mitchell. So now we got employment going on. And in that community center, by the way, we told the developer, since we had the power in the city council to approve his project, that his housing project, we wanted a community center built, not just housing, because that's how they make money. They don't make money off the community center or gardens. And now we're going to own that community center for a dollar after the duration of the 20, 30-year loan. So these are things that you address to bring crime down and to raise consciousness. Some of the um, so-called gangs have become uh, uh, community organizations that now are working in cooperation with us. Is there still a lot of crime? Absolutely. Do we have a lot more work to do? Absolutely. But we were able to address it by getting to the root causes of crime and not just dealing with the symptomology. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, I hope all these candidates are running for mayor in Baltimore, I hope you're taking notes or listeners are taking notes and passing them on what uh, Charles Barron just said, how to do an effective city that he did in East New York in Brooklyn. I got to ask you about reparations, though. Let's go to the reparations because you you put forth reparations in New York State. What happened? Because we heard they passed some sort of a bill. Can you explain? Did they use what you suggested? Let me tell you what they do, how they co-opt our reparations movement. There's two ways that they co-opted. One is to give you stuff out of the current budget that you're supposed to get anyway because of your taxpaying dollars being used by the system. So when you say, we're going to give you $10 million of scholarship money for your students and call it reparations, no, you cannot. Our oppressor cannot determine what the compensation is. That's what you're supposed to get. So we should not confuse what we're supposed to be getting out of budgets that neglect us. We're supposed to get scholarships. We're supposed to get opportunities for housing. We're supposed to get job creation programs, workforce development programs. We're supposed to get health care. We're supposed to get Medicare and Medicaid because we're paying taxes. So, Reparations is a debt owed in addition to that. And the in addition to that is what we were fighting for. So in New York, I saw what happened in California where they set up a commission. The commission was appointed by the governor who had five appointees. 
And then the state legislature, assembly and senate, had four. They, the state, picked the commissioners. And then they went further because of who they picked, started fighting and arguing over who was black and who should receive it. And they narrowed it down to the point where they said only African people in America, born in America, and you had to prove in your lineage you were enslaved, which is absolutely absurd. They passed it. They sent the recommendations to the state, and the state told them, we hear it, we see it, we saw all the work you've done, we had the commission. Uh, right now we're struggling economically, so y'all wait. <laughs> you ain't getting nothing right now, just wait. So in New York, having studied that experience in California, I wrote a reparations bill that showed the history of enslaving African people in New York City and in New York State. New York City was the second largest slaveholding city in the entire union, second only to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And I showed the impact on that and how it created the poverty. And then New York State, how they naming streets all over New York in Brooklyn, Manhattan, naming them after our enslavers. Harlem was a Dutch name for Dutch enslavers. Brook Ellen, Brookline, Brooklyn was a, a Dutch and English. He morphed to English from, from Brook, Brook Ellen to Brooklyn. So I showed that all in there and said, we need to set up a commission that would do one, determine the amount of reparation. We called it the New York State Community Commission on Remedies. Not a study, but a community commission on remedies. We've already been studied enough. So my bill was saying the commission would determine, A, how much, B, what form, and C, who shall receive it. That simple. Our people have been injured and compensation is due. And I said that we would do, we have 11 people on the commission, and the majority should be appointed by community organizations that have been doing reparations work over the last four decades. And that was in COBRA, the December 12th movement, and Ron Daniels in the Institute of the Black World. They would pick two commissioners each for six, the governor one, and the assembly two, and the Senate two. So we would have a six to five majority on the front end. And the reason why I said that is because what happened in California? We should have the power and authority on the front end appointing the commissioners since after the commissioner's work is done, the state has to approve it. So it's coming right back to the state, as it did in California, and they said they're not doing nothing. So since y'all have the power on the back end, I wanted the power on the front end. But, you know, you have sellout Negro politicians. Uh, one is uh, Leroy, Senator Leroy Comrie and Senator James Sanders. They wanted to get in front of it. So what they did, I passed it. In the state assembly, 150 members of the state assembly, 107 said yes, and the Republicans said no. We passed it twice in the assembly. We got to the Senate, and in the, in the same form that I just described, we had 25 senators on board, needed seven more because there's 63 senators. We only needed seven more, and here comes the sellout Negro politician. 
They got with the governor, and they got with the head of the Senate. By the way, the head of the assembly is a black man, Carl Hasty, and the head of the Senate is a black woman, Andrea Stewart-Cousins. They all schemed, got together, and the white woman, uh, Governor Hochul, was very close with Sanders and all of them. She got them, or they decided, Sanders, with his ego problems, he wanted to get in front of it. Uh, gee, well, hold on, thought right there, Charles. We're going to take a short break. We want to hear the, the end of this story. And I also want to talk about reparations, uh, again, as, as, and the immigration issue, because they blame those, the immigrants against us. I want you to discuss that as well. I also want to talk about Operation Power as well. Sure. Family, you want to sure. join this conversation with Charles Barron? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Six away from the top of the We're back in four minutes with your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Thanks for rolling with us all morning long. It's been another interesting morning. Right now, we're speaking with Charles Barron. He's a former lawmaker in New York City, and he's one that crafted their reparations. I've almost said it's a law, but their reparations effort. And it got to uh, Albany, the state capital, and that's where we are. So, uh, Charles Barron, tell us what happened. I'll let you finish your story. Yes. um, So after I had my bill designed, got it passed out of the assembly. You know it has to pass through both houses, assembly and the Senate. It got to the Senate, and they, these two sellout Negro elected officials decided that they wanted to get in front of it. Instead of writing a whole new bill of their own, they took my bill, still called it the New York State Community Key Reparations Commission on Remedies Key, And they decided that they would amend my bill and say, the governor, white lady, picks three. The head of the assembly, who has no history in our reparation movement, picks two or three. And the head of the Senate, who has no history in our reparation movement, picks three, as opposed to where I have in COBRA, 40 years of reparation experience, December 12th movement, 40 years of reparation experience. Ron Daniels and Institute of Backwell, 40 years of reparation experience. And we were going to call in to our commission, Chairman Amali Yeshitella, who has 40, 50 years of experience in reparations movements to make a presentation. So they changed that one line, and that's what passed in New York. So now we're taking claim of a victory for having a reparations bill passed, which has never happened in New York State. But we're also going to be very vigilant and organized to make sure that two things happen. One, that we stay on top of the commission, that we show up to those hearings and have a powerful impact on that commission and force them to appoint some of our people to that commission. Two, we're going to have our own probably in April, May, people's reparations tribunal and come up with a people's commission on reparations. And out of that process, we're going to come up with uh, recommendations and demands on how we should deal with reparations in New York State. 
right, got you. Four after the top of that. Mark is in Baltimore. He's on line one. He wants to speak with you. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning. How you doing, gentlemen? And uh, Carl, I just got one question for you and him. Can you talk him into moving to Baltimore and getting on our city council? Why is that, Mark? <laughs> you told him. You said you hope our leaders is listening. I hope they listen to <laughs> <laughs> but you said something very important that I that I didn't know, but I'm gonna find out about. Um, you you talked about on y'all city council that you get so much money uh, to help grassroots and so much money, you know, to do community projects right. and stuff like that. And I'm so glad you said that, man, because we got so many grassroots here um, that's doing just awesome, awesome work, man. That don't get funded, that don't get backed, and everybody. Here looks like us, man. You know, so just thank y'all. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for pointing out um, in Cobra because I hope our millennials are listening. If you go to that website, incobra.org, it has it laid out right there. Uh, You know, who should pay and all that stuff. And I hope they're listening. Because they're talking about they're not going to vote for reparations and all that because they think they're just going to get a check. You know, you know what I mean? So, so I hope they listen. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> right, brother. Care, man. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I thank you so much for those words. But fortunately for you in the Baltimore area, Brother Namdi Lumumba and the uh, organization he's dealing with, and I'm working with him and, and Brother Khaled Rahim in Pittsburgh, we have what we have developed in the last two years, a national black radical political convention. And out of that, we're developing a national black radical political Congress. And uh, 10 states were represented. About 60, 70 people came up to the, came to the two con- uh, state-wide meetings we've had. And we had one in Baltimore and we had one in um, Pittsburgh. And we're going to have one eventually in New York and other places because we got to get black radicals, black people who are authentically black. Dr. Lonnie Guinea, may she rest in peace, had a book called The Tyranny of the Majority. And she had a description of black people. She said some of us are descriptively black. They look like us. And others are authentically black. They are committed to us and our movement and our liberation. And so we got to get black radicals, independent black thinking people, African people that are for us and not against us and not going to be used by colonialism to keep us on the plantations that we are now. And I think this movement that we build in Namdi Lumumba, who's in Baltimore, uh, would be a good person to get in touch with to make that happen. All right, let me go back to reparations because, you know, there's an issue come up in Chicago with the immigrants and, there, you know, people are saying they don't have money for reparations, but they have money for the immigrants. And they don't see they're trying to pit the immigrants against ours because they dropped them in our communities. They wouldn't drop them in, you know, the Dakotas or Wyoming or Montana or somewhere like that. They drop them in the urban areas and, and then forcing these these black mayors of these cities to make these difficult decisions. I want to get your thoughts on that. How should we look at that? Well, first of all, The question of immigration, we should not allow the white colonial capitalist system, imperialist foreign policy, to manipulate us in a fight against immigrants, because immigrants are us. 
Immigrants are African, they're Caribbean, they're Latin American, of course, they're Asian. Immigrants are our people. And so the real immigrants are some of the whites who came here and stole this land from the indigenous people who, by the way, are still on Indian reservations being oppressed. So let's not fall for that fighting against each other. That's number one. Number two, in New York City, for instance, as Mayor Eric Adams uh, complains about a, a migration problem, and it is a situation, but he has a $107 billion city budget. Y'all hear me out now. A $107 billion city budget with $8.3 billion in reserve. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mayor, or Governor Hochul, the state governor of New York, has a $233 billion state budget with over $20 billion in the reserve account that she can spend on anything. Now, Eric inaccurately, I say he lied to his administration and said the bill was going to be $12 billion for the next three years for the immigrants. That's a lie. It's going to be like a billion or two each year, maybe six. There are people, our people, black and brown people, African and Latino people in shelters all over New York City. The black mayor, Adam, instead of building shelters in my borough of Brooklyn and communities like Bensonhurst in Brooklyn, which is majority Asian and white, or Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, which is majority Asian and white, they have no shelters, but yet you have 14 in my community, 23 in Brownsville, and 30 in, in some communities in the Bronx, because this mayor refuses to put shelters in white and Asian communities and piles them all in our communities. That's number one. Number two, upstate, there's a whole lot of land. They can build temporary housing and land upstate. She has $20 billion. He has eight. They can build these temporary places for them. And what they should do, our people who've been in shelters for decades, get them out and put them into permanent housing, and then you'll have shelter space for immigrants until you can get them in permanent housing. They can solve this problem tonight by doing that. 
and most importantly, on the front end of solving this problem, your imperialistic, exploitative, colonialized foreign policy is causing Haitians to come here because you're exploiting Haiti for its natural resources and dividing its people and allowing chaos. The same thing in Guatemala, same thing in Mexico, the same thing in Venezuela, the same thing in Caribbean nations, the same thing is happening in African nations. So America is suffering from an imperialistic policy that's causing their chickens to come home to roost. They're coming to America because you exploited them. You supported dictators like Papa Doc and Baby Doc, Duvalier and Haiti so that the American corporations can exploit Haiti. You supported dictators in Cuba. So you have Batista in there so American corporations can exploit Cuba. You exploit you right now. Look what you did to Africa. You supported Europe's colonization of African nations. This mentioned the 1884 uh, divide of Africa. You supported all of that. So a lot of the poverty that was created by international globalization and capitalism, you are causing folks to want to come here with your bogus so-called hypocritical free trade agreement. That means that corporations can go to Mexico, hire Mexicans instead of workers right here in the United States to work for $10 a day instead of having to make some minimum wage and health care and all of that and then have their products be brought back here and not taxed the way it should be taxed. It's America's foreign policy that's causing this, but it's the domestic policies and budgets of places like New York State that can resolve it right away. All right, hold that thought right there. We come up on a, a, a short break, and we come back. We want to talk about Operation Power, and also the same situation with the immigration issues is in Europe as well. We see many of the, our brothers and sisters trying to get to Europe, and they have an immigration problem in in France, in, in the UK. They come across the the English Channel, in you know, in, in trucks. The same thing that's happening here. So I want before we talk about Operation Power, if you can, if this is a global issue with the immigration. And if you can re, uh, discuss that for us, 13 after the top of our family, we've got to take a quick break. You want to join this conversation with Charles Brown, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Free in the DMV, Ron FM, 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And thanks for staying with us, family. 20 minutes after the top there with our guest, Charles Barron from New York City. You'd like to speak to Charles, 800-450-7876. Before we talk about Operation Power, though, Charles, Kevin in Baltimore has got a question or a comment for everyone on line one. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, good morning. Um, I have a, my question has to do with the, the authority for reparations, and that would be the basic question. And I'll give two examples of why people – could argue that there is an authority for reparations, and you could, of course, respond to those two. Um, one would be historical precedent. The, through human history, there's been millions of examples of people taking other people's resources, enslaving them, destroying prop, uh, property, civilizations. 
And probably statistically, 0% have any of those things been corrected by reparations. There's been a lot of revenge in human history, but uh, maybe World War II is the example I can think of for World War I, and that led to essentially the, the great tragedy of World War II. So it seems like there's an overwhelming historical precedence against reparations. That would be one. Two, our legal system. Um, where in our legal system do we make descendants? Sometimes we're talking about eight or ten generations uh, for at this point uh, responsible for the crimes of their ancestors. Um, we wouldn't take a, a fentanyl dealer and make his children or grandchildren responsible for uh, the misery that they caused and things like that. So um, th- 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 that's my question. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Charles? Thank you. Well, first of all, those descendants benefited from the ill-gotten gains of your forefathers. Those descendants benefited from the rape, robbery, theft of land by the indigenous people here. Your descendants and your forefathers, you benefited from the fact that they stole us from Africa brought us here, and we built the economy of this racist colonial capitalist system. So you can't cry against reparations because you weren't born and you didn't do it when you have benefited from it and said nothing but use the benefits to your benefit. Secondly, there is a precedence of reparations being given out in 1988, the Uh, President Reagan, because the Japanese were demanding reparations for their internment in 1942 during uh, the, I call them Imperialist War I and Imperialist War II, because that was about imperialism and empire building and Japan, America, and all of them fighting for the right to exploit. But because of that, uh, the Japanese Americans were rounded up and put in concentration camps, and a lot of their property was stolen and their civil rights were violated. So in 1988, President Reagan, they paid reparations to the Japanese. I think it was over $1.6 billion, and not only for those who were interned, 20000 each, but also $500 million for their descendants. The Jews get paid reparations because of what happened in the during their time in Germany. As a matter of fact, New York City Council set aside a couple of million dollars for the Holocaust survivors that were living in New York. And New York had nothing to do with the so-called Holocaust. So there's been history, and I can go on and on and name other groups, there's been history. I didn't do anything to the Japanese in 1988, but my taxpaying dollars were used to pay them reparations because once you live under a government that is so exploitative and a colonial racist kind of government, then you are responsible for what that government has not only is still doing presently, but what has done in the past. So reparations for Africans is long overdue, 
and nobody complained about the Jews getting it. Nobody complained about the Japanese get, getting it. As soon as the Africans say, well, I didn't do nothing to you. I didn't. I wasn't even there. Well, it doesn't matter whether you were there. I don't care if you came here last night. There was a government that existed before you came here, and they exploited us, and they got to pay. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Kevin. I thank you for your phone call. 25 minutes after the top of our family. Have, have we received any support from the, the Jewish community or the Asian, or the Japanese community since they got reparations? Are they saying, okay, we got reparations, so we want to help you get your reparations? Do you know of any, any, of, the, any of those groups jumping in and supporting us? Is that for me? Yeah, that's for you. Oh, yeah. No, no, they don't. And quite frankly, ain't even looking for them to do that. We as an African people, no, they haven't and won't. We have to look to ourselves, empower ourselves, and stop saying silly things like, oh, if we get reparations, you know, we're so brainwashed, we're going to give it right back to the white man. Or how much do we get? Are we all going to get a check? Let's set up the commission and let's have an intelligent, an intelligent conversation by way of commission to come up with remedies, whether it should be land given to us, whether it should be cash given to us, whether it should be coming by way of health care, free health care, which they should have anyway, or whether it be education or whether it be us determining how our communities will benefit from it. We have to determine that. That's why we set up these commissions so we don't fight each other about what it should look like, who should get it, and what form it should take. So those questions can't be no, you know, glib, uh, superficial debates at a, uh, a conference, but it should be a scientific study. Uh, we, we, we're really grateful with Mali Yesitelli and the African People's Socialist Party in 1982. They had a World Reparation Tribunal right in uh, my Brooklyn, New York. Scientists, economists, historians, activists came from all over the world and determined that we were owed four to six trillion dollars. Now, if people say six trillion dollars, what? How are we gonna pay that? Well, America has over a thirty trillion dollar debt. I didn't make that debt, but they taken what they call, you know, um uh a budget, they're taking a little bit out of the budget to pay down on that debt every year. They do that out of my money, and I had nothing to do. I don't know how they spent $30 trillion, but what they could do is say, okay, after the commission is finished, this is how much African people are owed in America. And this is the first installment, $50 billion for health care, blah, 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 blah. Where there's a will, there's a way. All right. Let me, I got a tweet question before we talk about Operation Power. Tweeter, tweeter says, uh, greetings, Representative Bob Byron. How will Niger, Mali, or Burkina Faso, three West African states led by the military who said they are immediately leaving the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, if this happens, how will this change the American-European policies on the African continent? Well, you know, I'm so glad you raised that because that was going to be my next move to shift this to that, to what ha what's happening in F Africa, and to shift that, what's happening with some organizations right here in, in America. I, I don't like to overstate the problem. You know, we become masters at the problem, and we 
major in that. We minor in solutions. So I'm really, really glad you asked that. Number one, you know, Africa, as you know, has been colonized, and now we're suffering in Africa and here in America with the form of what they call neocolonialism. Kwame Nkrumah had the great book Neocolonialism, the last stage of imperialism. So now Africa has a bunch of neocolonial black puppets of American colonialism and imperialism heading up African nations, allowing to countries like France and others to continue to economically colonize and exploit. In Burkina Faso, in Niger, in Mali, they rose up. These are some young people, part of some military juntas, and we got to watch it. But they rose up, and they said, France out of Africa. You no longer can exploit Africa. And they, 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 they said they went out of ECOS because ECOS was like a um, pro-Western, and many people feel that, that was a part of neo-colonialism. So they said, we are separating from that, and we're kicking the French out in America. You're next. And you know, it's ironic or exploitative and contradictory that the uranium in Niger lights up a third of Europe because the French extract it, exploit them, give them little or nothing, and they light up a third of Europe as the African nation of Niger is still in the dark. And they have the richest resources. This is happening all over Africa, where Europe and other places are benefiting from the resources of Africa. Kwame Nkrumah said that one of the great paradoxes of Africa is that it is the richest country in the, in the world with the poorest people. Same thing with Haiti. Haiti is not a poor country. It's an exploited country. It has a lot of resources and rich in culture. So what's happening in the, they call it the Sahel region, that region across Africa from west coast to the east coast and right below northern Africa, right below the southern part of Africa, in the middle of Africa, these countries are rising up and have some of the richest fertile resources in the world. So that revolution has taken place. And then, you know, they had the conference in South Africa where, you know, BRIC, the BRIC conference with British, Russia, I mean, um, um, Bolivia, not Bolivia, Brazil, Russia, and, you know, South Africa and China. Now it's over 30-some-odd countries have gotten together in Africa to say, we no longer are going to let the World Bank and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, exploit us by creating debt, loaning us money, as long as we keep a capitalist colonialist structure. They're saying, later for the IMF, later for the World Bank, let's have regional trade, later for the World Trade Organization, all American imperialistic institutions nationally, internationally, later for them, we're going to set up our own currency. That's why they do. Muammar Gaddafi is dead now. He was going to set up a, a currency for Africans, a Central African bank. No more dealing with the IMF. No more dealing with the World Bank. They had a conference in South Africa. Thirty-some-odd countries are moving in that direction. Revolution is being revived in Africa. And right here in the United States is Organizations like the African People's Socialist Party under the leadership of Amali Yeshitela and all of his members, 
they are in trouble now, indicted by the American CIA and FBI, because they are fighting for our liberation and independence. And their voice was like, hey, we have a right. We have a right to choose our friends and enemies. And they're attacking them on free speech now because they supported Russia over the Ukraine thing, saying that the NATO, NATO was formulated in 1949 to stop Russia. NATO, these European nations, came together with the United States to stop Russia because Russia was socialist. And now they have a right to say we support uh, socialism or Russia over Ukraine. And because of that free speech, they're now under indictment. They brought drones to their house. They raided their homes at 5 o'clock in the morning. They raided all of their offices in different places, St. Louis and other places, all because of what? Exercising free speech. And so when you look at groups like Amali Eshetela and the African People's Socialist Party, look at the December 12th movement who's fighting here for the same thing they fight in Africa, same struggle, same fight, free Africa, free Palestine, same struggle, same fight. And you see these organizations taking place here. What we should be doing is joining one of them. The Nation of Islam is fighting for our liberation. The African People's Socialist Party, the December 12th movement, and COBRA, these are all organizations fighting. The Institute of the Black World, there's plenty of groups for us to fight with. And we and our right. And hold that thought right there, Charles. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, you okay. talking about groups. Operation Power, because this is the group that you created. I want, we want to learn more about that group. Family's uh, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. As I mentioned, we're going to take our last break. We're back in four minutes, though. You want to speak to Charles Barron, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with New York activist Charles Brown. Before we go back to Charles, let me just, we would just offer our condolences to the family and the fans of Henry Fambor. He was the last original member of the Spinners, or the Detroit Spinners, as they were started out as when they started with Motown. Henry Fambor was 85. Tomorrow's Friday, and we'll give you another chance to free your mind. Join us for our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And also in the DMV, right? On FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Charles, tell us about Operation Power. How did this come about? It's an acronym. It's a lot of feedback. Operation Power. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. We're fine. Okay. Operation Power is an acronym for people organizing and working for empowerment and respect. We started it in 1997 in uh, East New York, Brooklyn. We got tired of calling um, black elected officials names. We hold them responsible of allowing our communities to be gentrified. Uh, Our beloved East New York Operation Power Stop Gentrification. So we decided that we would put a lot of emphasis in the electoral arena. And here's why. We cannot ignore state power. 
there's two things that you must have, one or the other, or both, when you're involved in a movement, power and or influence. When we looked at and did a power analysis and saw that most of the problems in my beloved East New York, low-income, high-crime rate community, with some beautiful people in there, 90% of them are, 95%, that we were suffering from a lack of power. The city council had the power to determine the budget, to determine municipal laws, and most importantly, the city council member determined with the support of the city council what was going to be built on city-owned land in our community. And we had oversight over all the city agencies. That's a lot of power. So we said, let's stop calling them names. Let's start Operation Power so we can get power. When you have power, which is the ability, the ability to act in your own best self-interest, the ability to fend off anybody who's against you making decisions in your best interest because you have the power, for instance, the city council member has the power, along with the land use committee and the rezoning committee, to determine what projects is going to happen in their community. So if Donald Trump came into my beloved East New York and said he wanted to build on city-owned land, Trump Towers, and he'll give billions of dollars to the city if they allow him to do it, he has to see the, the Black Panther, because I was in the city council. And if that committee, and they will give deference to the local council member, says, what do you think, Charles? What do you want for you? I said, no, I don't want the Trump project. No problem. It's dead. That's power. I don't even have to demonstrate, call a press conference, nothing. We have the power, the authority to stop it. So we said that's what we want. 1977, I ran for city council against a powerful machine, the Brooklyn Kings County Democratic club organization is the most powerful democratic machine in the country, but they're run by a bunch of black lackeys and whites who influence them by enticing them with giving them seats of power, resources, and so they, with their rugged individualism and self-projected ambition to be mayors and governors and all of that and Congress people, they are controlled by the Democratic Party. We aren't. So we decided to use the Democratic primary as a way of getting power. And we won. We beat that powerful machine with all its money, all of its lawyers, all of its Wall Street connections, all of its real estate connections. We whipped them, and they were angry. We beat them for 22 years. They just got their seats back in the last two years. So Operation Power now, because we did that, and shocked the political world in East New York, this is why we have a reparations bill. This is why we were able to get four political prisoners freed. I got the state assembly to sign on to that. Uh, DeLille Montecum, um, Herman Bell, Seth Hayes, all were allowed free, three. And we were able to get two, three new $88 million schools built in my neighborhood, the $20 million community center. We were able to stop gentrification. We were able to get $110 million to renovate parks. I can use the rest of this program talking about what we've received. So Operation Power then was getting power. But while we're getting that, 
We have to raise the political consciousness and the revolutionary awareness of our people. Our people are fighting for survival. Milkar Cabral, the great revolutionary from Burkina Faso, said, uh, <clears throat> from Guinea-Bissau, said, bear in mind, the masses of our people are not fighting for ideas in your head, in your mind. They're fighting for material benefits and a future for their children. So tell no lies, claim no easy victories. And we took that philosophy and said, we got to raise consciousness for revolutionary awareness so we don't just fight for survival. Rats and stray dogs survive. We are human beings, and we should thrive, not just try to survive. So we got into the electoral arena and was able to deliver so much to deal with our bare necessities in life, jobs, health care, food, you name it. We gave out a lot of food and have food pantries, and I can go on and on. But the also piece we did, we have a liberation Saturday. So once a month, I say, don't talk to me about no problems or nothing. We got to go from reactive to proactive. And that's when we use our Liberation Saturdays to bring in people like Amali Yasatella. We had Cornel West and others come in. Like uh, We have some of the most powerful sisters, Sister Viola Plummer, who made her transition. May she rest in peace. And so many others. My wife, Inez Barron, has been on there, a master teacher and a revolutionary teacher. So we was able to raise consciousness. Huey P. Newton said it best. The most potent, not uh, Huey Newton, uh, um, uh, of um, the most potent weapon, and Steve Biko, I'm sorry, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. So we now have to use that meeting their needs, not to get them satisfied with the colonial capitalist system, but raise their consciousness to say the reason why you're impoverished, the reason why you're unemployed, the reason why you have inadequate health care, the reason why you don't have quality education is because you live under a colonial capitalist system that's exploiting you, and you must fight for systemic change, not just for the programs. Huey Newton said that we're going to use survival programs pending revolution. So let's try to answer the needs of our people through free breakfast and free health care as we raise the revolutionary consciousness of our people, because revolution is the solution. All right. 13 away from the top there. Henry's calling from Baltimore. Henry's on line one. He wants to speak with you. Good morning, Henry. Yeah. Uh, that's a chance that the guy went through. But that's what you have to do, take action, because I, I'm an activist. I go down City Hall, too, to fight for things here. And... Uh, so in them countries, um, I had some people years ago used to come to Baltimore, and uh, I never knew what happened in their country and things like that. But you're bringing some of that out now today. So thank you for that, and thanks for taking my call. All right, thanks, Henry. 800-450-7876 was a question there. Let's go to Bert on line two calling from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Bert. Bert, do you got to listen on on the phone? Because we're on a delay system. Good morning. All right, Bert's not ready for us. 800-450. Yeah, but you got to listen on the phone, man. You can't listen on the radio because we're on a delay system. It confuses people. I read yours off. Yes, um, I I have a question for um, for Councilman Barron. Um, My family is, is from East New York, and, you know, Everyone, you know, loves and respects him at, at the same level that, you know, the, my family here in D.C. loves and, and, and respected Marion Barry. 
is there a young politician right now that you're mentoring that we can start looking at to follow? Oh, thank you so, so, so much for that. I have a brilliant young man. He ran twice because we're trying to get him, and his name is Karan Allen. Karan Allen. Uh-huh. He, he ran, you know, for a city council. But remember, the one of the challenges for us is that because we were so successful, you know, my wife won the assembly seat, I won the council seat, and when I was term limited, she won my council seat, and I won her assembly seat. We won the, the district leaders. We are the male, and we were the male and female district leaders. We won the county committee seat. We had a, a district judge. The Operation Power got funded, uh, elected. We won the community board five. We have the majority seats there, and we wiped out the Democratic Party club in the district. Mm-hmm. With the challenge with all of that victory, and we brought in all those things, like I mentioned, schools and all of that. But the pro- challenge we had is that the Operation Power was stagnant because once you win, we're uh, you know victims of our success. Once you win, you gotta run two offices, and you mm-hmm. gotta run reelections every year to maintain the offices. So it was difficult to grow in the organization and the opposition, the the Hakeem Jeffries and the Democratic Party lackeys would run these candidates mm-hmm. against us who were just extremely incompetent but they were loyal to Hakeem and the Democrats. But we would beat them for 20-something years, but our people couldn't run against us to get the name recognition. So we found out later on, well, let's run some of our people for Congress and other things, let's, or, or state senators. So we had Karan run for those. So the opposition would get more name recognition, even though we were beating them for 22 years, if Carl Nelson and I hate to put you on their side, Carl, but if Carl Nelson was their candidate and he's running against us every year, even though I'm beating Carl Nelson, they're gonna, he's going to get a lot of name recognition, even losing, because he'll be getting thousands of people to vote for him, even though he lost. And so when I step aside, he's going to be more known than the candidates we run. So that's been our challenge, but Karan Allen... Uh, Melinda Perkins and Alice Lohman and Joy Simmons are candidates that we've been training over the years. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right. Thanks, Bert. Thanks for your call. Just about out of time, uh, Charles Barron. But before we leave here, because you, you do have a book out, I want you to tell us how we can get copies of the book. And folks want to get in touch with you because what you outlined, what you did in Brooklyn, I'd love to see them do it in, in Baltimore. So how can folks reach you? How can you get a copy of your book? Well, I would uh, strongly suggest that they, right now, we buy bulk rate from Black Classic Press because we want to keep it in the family. 
but the on, uh, on as on demand, demand print on demand, we had to go by way of Barnes and Noble. So if you go online for print on demand for Barnes and Nobles, you can get a copy of it for twenty five dollars. It's called Speaking Truth to Power by Charles Barron, a compilation of about eighty articles that I've written from nineteen eighty eight to the present, and in there is articles like How to Beat the Machine. That's a good one. Articles like The Reparations Now, a history on the reparations movement. Articles on revolution. What's the difference between reform and revolution? And I have even um, theological articles. I have an article on black liberation theology and black power ideology. God and liberation, religion and revolution. And then we have our whole platform on Operation Power in there. So speaking truth to power, you can get it online, not in the bookstore, but online with uh, Bonds and Nobles. And if you want to get in touch with me, I have a series of uh, presentations I'm making. One is called We Fought Back, the History of Resistance and Revolution. And another one is We Are Mighty Builders, from Timbuktu to Tulsa. We built communities. And then another one is Free Africa. Free Palestine, same struggle, same fight. You can call me at 917-763-3091. That's 917-763-3091. All right. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for the work that you put in, and thank you for the information you shared with us this morning. Thank you, Carl. appreciate you, man. All righty, family, we're done for the day. Stay strong, stay positive, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.